Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. The formal invasion of Gaza has begun. Now, the other day we saw tanks make moves into Gaza, which I think it's fair to say an invasion. But now we're seeing full scale boots on the ground. There's some wide, uh, wild rumors going around. We got to be very careful of. But people are sharing it. Lebanese reporters claiming there's even U.S. troops there. I want to be careful about that because we just don't know for sure. and We don't want to fan the flames. But this is getting uh, it's getting hot, to say the least. And uh, Saudi Arabia is warning the U.S. things could get uh, pretty intense and they can get pretty intense pretty quickly. So uh, we're going to talk a lot about that. That's basically the, the the dominating story right now. There's mass protests happening at Grand Central Station in New York. Many Jewish individuals who live in New York are protesting what's going on. And this could spiral out of control very quickly. So uh, welcome to your Friday night. Fortunately for us, we have a sponsor that isn't afraid to get behind shows with a great message. And that is castbrew.com. Why? It's my company. So, of course, I sponsor myself and I'm not worried about my sponsor pulling out of my show. No, but to be fair, there are a lot of companies that don't want to sponsor a show that's going to be like, here's a bunch of war and, and civilian casualties. And so that's one of the reasons we decided to make a product where we sponsor ourselves, but it's also part of the bigger mission. Go to Casper.com, buy Casper coffee. We got the limited edition re-rise with Roberto Jr. It's limited. It's just for Halloween and we're making fun of our own dead mascot, which is kind of sad, but we love Roberto Jr. Rest in peace. And uh, look. The bigger mission with Cast Brew is we're building the coffee shop, we're working on the franchise agreements to get that legal and sorted out so we can create places for people to get together and share their ideas, create community locations where y'all can meet up and hang out. And that's part of the bigger picture here. So Casper.com, support the show, but also go to TimCast.com, click join us, become a member to support us directly. If you think the work we do is very good, if you liked the Culture War episode we did this morning, then uh, support our work. But uh, I will I will say... Culture War soon to be on Tenet Media. I'm really excited for this. Big shout out to everyone over at Tenet Media, uh, Lauren Chen and everyone. I'm really excited. This is going to be a great project. We'll have more on that later. But in the meantime, smash that like button, subscribe to this channel, share the show with your friends. Joining us tonight to talk about Israel is Scott Horton. Hi, Tim. Thank you for having me. Who are you? What do you do? Uh, well, I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute. I'm the editorial director of Antiwar.com. I'm the host of the Scott Horton Show. I've got 6,000 interviews, almost uh, 5,960 something, going back to 2003 at scotthorton.org. And I'm the author of Fool's Air and Time to End the War in Afghanistan and Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I'm working on Provoked, how Washington started the new Cold War with Russia and the catastrophe in Ukraine. Oh, wow. And we got Phil Labonte here. You got a book signed. What was that book? That book was Enough Already All right. by Scott Horton. <laughs> I am Phil Abonte, lead singer of the heavy metal band All That Remains, very failed musician, anti-communist, and counter-revolutionary. <laughs> Libby. Hey, Phil. Hi. Hi, everybody. I'm Libby Emmons. I am the editor with the Post Millennial on Human Events, filling in for Ian again. Glad to be here. Ian's just gone. Ian he messaged me. He's like, I'll be back at some... Yeah. He's in Miami. Oh, okay. Uh, he's on vacation. You know, vacations happen. It's you know nice I mean? to take vacation. You know what happened? I envy is he, Ian a vacation. He started working out. A vacation. Yeah, what is that? it's. I don't know. I'm thinking maybe I'll look it up. <laughs> yeah, it must be like, on Urban Dictionary. Ian or started started working out. I think it's a. And then term. now he's doing tactical training with Luke and using guns, 
And I'm just like, here, here it goes. He says he prayed to Jesus, and I'm like, the, gonna, the, it's the war, it's the gym to Jesus pipeline. He's going to be in a right wing death squad. The next thing you know. <laughs> Ian, no. All right, but Ian will be back next week, probably. So uh, we got Surge pressing the buttons. Yo. Or do we, you, you introduced yourself already, right? I didn't skip over you. I did. I'm okay, good. good. I'm all good. We got so wrapped up on Ian. It's okay. And I am here. I'm waiting for Ian to get back. I'm excited to see him. Uh, if anyone's a Springboks reporter, we got a really big game this weekend. We can beat the All Blacks. Anyways. All right, go. here we go. Fox News has it. Israel launches second ground incursion into Gaza. Hamas commander killed in airstrike. Uh, a bunch of different reports. This is all ma major breaking news. U.S. won't draw red lines for Israel in war with Hamas, et cetera, et cetera. We've got this story from the Daily Mail. Quote, Hamas will feel our wrath tonight, warns Israel as it unleashes unprecedented airstrikes on Gaza. IDF steps up ground operations and tells Palestinians to flee south now as invasion looms with phone lines and Internet cut across the city. You were mentioning just a moment ago, there, there's a, a Scott. The, one of the one of the uh, uh, I guess uh, rumors or thoughts or whatever is that Israel may try to split the Gaza Strip in half between two cities. T tell us what's going on. Well, I don't really know. I have a Israeli friend that sent me a message earlier today that said the invasion has begun, and I don't know the extent of it. He actually had also sent me uh, a document that was um, a few years old that was a military study, an Israeli military study about how to invade and conquer the Strip, and they had. A few different ideas about how to go about it and i guess one of them that my friend who was a, a veteran also he's a veteran of the 2006 lebanon war um or hezbollah war um he uh he i think thought that this would be the most likely uh take that they would invade kind of in the middle of gaza and divide uh khan Yunus from gaza city and um you know they have a hell of a fight uh, if, if they're really going, if the doctrine truly is to eradicate Hamas, as they had previously said, to completely eradicate Hamas, they have a real fight on their hands because they have thousands of guys and they have these very deep tunnels. And in 2014, they started to invade and Hamas guys were popping up out of the ground, out of all over the place, and they were taking casualties. They were getting up yeah. close and, and kind of um, ruining the Israelis' advantage. Uh, by taking them out up close. And the Israelis, wow. they pulled back and instead just went to artillery and air power. So if they're going to truly, quote unquote, clean out the Gaza Strip of Hamas, it's going to cost incredible casualties on both sides. I just want to mention, you know, we hear it from uh, neo-libs in the United States all the time about gun control, about if you want to go up against the U.S., you need nukes and all that stuff. And it's like, dude, Guys with guns are dangerous. It's, it's, you can't occupy a street corner with a drone. You can just terrorize and Definitely. devastate. But if you want control of something, guys with guns, you know, so that, that's, yeah. Now, Seymour Hirsch, uh, the incredibly important journalist, Seymour Hirsch, has been writing that he has uh, contacts in Israeli intelligence and in the military and whatever, who are saying that America has delivered um, these massive bunker buster bombs which they're essentially dropped from very high altitude and achieve very high speed. And then they have uh, a double charge. The cone fires some kind of superheated charge into the ground to dig a hole down 30, 40 meters. And then the main charge, which is also a shape charge that's wow. shaped downward goes so that you, this is how to kill a bunker without having to use a nuke is to use these massive bunker buster bombs. And then the idea is they're gonna to try to use these to destroy the Hamas tunnels. But of course, Hamas has dug their tunnels deep enough to try to be protected from those. So we don't know if that'll really work 
for them gonna, or not. They're going to have to do to like tunnel rat type tactics like they did in Vietnam. Wow. And one of the things that, that I wanted to, that I was mentioning to Scott earlier that we didn't want to talk about without being on air is this is going to be, if they do decide to go into, you know, really go in full, full scale, it's going to be like Fallujah, you know, in Iraq. And that was bloody. And a lot of people died. A lot of innocent people died. So the idea that this is going to be some kind of easy fight, that is absolutely Look, not the case. I'm, uh, I'm hoping that it's a crazy thing to hope, but I'm I, well, not really. But like, I'm hoping that the Ukraine stuff is fizzling out and that the the but I, I, I'm not so, I'm not so sure. Right there. There's talk that the U.S. is losing interest in this because the shifting fight. A shifting fight is better than expanding into World War III, but I got this foreboding feeling as we're preparing the show. Reports that U.S. has led airstrikes on Iranian-backed targets already. Mm -hmm. That's another story we'll pull up in a second. And I'm like, if the U.S. is deploying tens of thousands, 19,000 personnel into the region already, some are saying that they've been deploying the largest, it's the largest NATO fleet ever amassed. I don't know if that's true, but I'm seeing these, you know, these, these, these images and like, uh, various individuals in politics posting these things may or may not be true. But we saw the the, we, the announcement last night the U.S. has deployed uh, many more troops into the region. We're getting more moving from other areas into this area. Feels like World War Three. I have I have uh, information that there are Delta units being moved into the area into the, either in, tomorrow in, or the day after well, there, something. So there are rumors on Twitter right now that U.S. elite forces, Delta forces are in the conflict already in in Gaza. I don't I I I'm hard pressed to believe that. Well, there was a picture last week of that they put the incompetence in the White House posted on Instagram yeah. a picture right. of Biden shaking mm -hmm. hands with Delta Force operators and congratulating them for all the great work that they're doing those down guys, in Palestine. They I took it those, down real Palestine. quick, but I believe so. No, those guys those guys were security detail. Okay. Yeah, they took it down detail. quickly also, but you could when That's they re when they reposted it with their faces blacked out, you could still see their tattoos. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the operational security there is completely ridiculous. But look, as far as World War III, I don't know about, you know, look, there's slippery slope arguments where Russia ends up involved here, that kind of thing. But look at just the risk of regional war where we could have, you know, this war very quickly, never mind how difficult it is for the people of Gaza and, and the Israeli conscripts who are invading right now, by the way. But for the region, this very quickly could escalate to a war with Hezbollah in southern Lebanon with all different kinds it's already of, in Syria. of militias in and, Syria. And, and why are we in Syria? We're in Syria for Israel, right? Donald Trump tried to get us out of Syria three different times and his military overrode him lied. three different times. They lied to his face and they just lied canceled his orders three times. And why? Picture this. You're driving on the open road, taking in the beautiful views this country offers. Then out of nowhere, you hear a noise and your car breaks down. While still frustrating, you feel protected because you have a plan through CarShield. CarShield has helped millions of drivers from having to pay back-breaking car repair costs. All you have to do is call before a breakdown. Plans can pay for expensive repairs on your out-of-warranty car, truck, or SUV. All for CarShield's low monthly rate that never goes up as long as you cover your car. With a plan through CarShield, you get protection on over 5,000 major parts and systems with just a visit to carshield.com carlson. I'm talking big money items, like your transmission, engine, electronics, and so much more. CarShield is here to keep you moving forward and make car breakdowns and the repairs that follow just a tiny bump in the road. Go to carshield.com Carlson. Protect yourself from the unprecedented rise in costs for parts and repairs.
Visit now to save 20%. Carshield.com slash Carlson. That's Carshield.com slash Carlson. Because, well, because America got rid of Saddam Hussein and empowered <laughs> Iran. And so now, since the regime change against Assad failed and Iran and Hezbollah had even more influence in Syria than ever before, then America had to stay to occupy that Al-Tamf base on the so-called to block the so-called land bridge from Iran to Beirut. And so that's why our guys are there. And then when Israel goes and does what they're doing in Gaza now, then our guys are at risk. And I actually have a friend whose son is deployed in Syria right now, who's at risk of getting killed over this. You know, there's that guy that ran for Congress in help me out in Washington state that uh, almost won the Republican Joe Kent, Kent. Joe yeah. Kent yeah, who's Kent. his wife was killed in Syria after Trump ordered our guys out no. and the military said no and just said they, belay no, they, that they, order they, they said they said you got it Trump don't do it yeah the, the idea well that, they made him back down actually on the order right this has happened three times in 2017 2018 and in in his lame duck session in December of 2020 he ordered he said I want our guys out and they essentially dragged their feet and then forced him to back down and change his mind and and look this gets to the very bottom line right who who listening to this show right now wants a rock war for right after George W Bush uh, George W. Bush put Iran's best friends in power in Baghdad. Who wants to go back to Iraq? Who wants to do another war in Syria? Supporting Israel is not in the interests of the United States of America. It's not. And General James Mattis and General David Petraeus both in candid moments admitted they said something very close to our men pay a price in terms of their security in the Middle East every day because of Israel and what they do in Palestine. And you talk about Fallujah, here's a great example of that. In March of 2004, Sheikh Yassin, who was the founder of Hamas, who Israel had financed and helped for years to grow Hamas, he started moderating his position and trying to get along, so they assassinated him, because they don't want a partner for peace. We're gonna talk more about that. They murdered him because he was mellowing out. And that was in March of 04, was just like a week later, was the giant riot in Fallujah. Maybe it was two weeks later was the giant riot in Fallujah where the Blackwater guards were lynched and their bodies burned and hung, from the cor uh, hung on the bridge. And one of the corpses was dragged through the street um, with another guy tied to the hood of a car with a big picture of Sheikh Yassin in the window. And it was the Israeli assassination of the founder of Hamas that had helped to touch off that riot that killed those Blackwater guards that then led to Bush, and maybe this is what Mattis was referring to, this led to Bush ordering James Mattis to go in there and clean them out. And what they did was like a free fire zone. If you're a civilian, leave the city. If you don't leave the city, your life is forfeit, right? Like Vietnam. And so, and they didn't do that in the other battles in Iraq War II, but they did that in Fallujah. And that big, the first big battle of Fallujah in March of 04 is what really kicked off the Sunni-based insurgency that killed 4,000 of our guys wow. in Iraq War II. And it was because Israel assassinated their own former sock puppet when he so, was becoming a public relations liability for them. I wanted to point out when it came to Biden and the leaked photo, uh, Telegraph reports that it was a hostage rescue unit in Israel. Yeah, that's what I had thought. 
Is that yeah, what I, I don't, I don't, uh, you guys heard something different or? I think it was a security detail. I, if it's Delta, they don't like to talk about what they're actually doing. Well, that was the scandal. The scandal was they leaked the information on accident. Yeah, they they weren't supposed right to post on their the photo. Instagram. Yeah. And Fair that's why they deleted it. Yeah, Delta, okay. Delta is top tier special operations forces. When they get killed, they don't report their yeah, casualties, yeah. right? This is, these guys are clandestine forces, top tier guys, yep. right? Above the the special forces yeah and so but so but if, if, if they're there error. in israel that i i think i don't know if they're gonna i don't know if they're gonna put them into israel and i this is this is only like hearsay stuff that i that i've i've got but it's my understanding that they're probably going to be going into the bases in because there's there's a base in the desert in iraq that they that they forward operate from so they can get into syria and stuff so if i understand correctly they're going to be in that area i don't know that they won't put them in in support uh roles with the for the idf uh i think that more than likely if there's a support force it'd be the the two marine expeditionary units that are in the area that are on uh carriers um you know delta doesn't have enough guys where they'd be a big support role they're usually the the because there's only a few hundred of them there, there's maybe like 500 know, Delta. well the post said that they have generals embedded with the israeli military helping advise that now. could be so but I'm, I'm not, I'm so not so sure which ad service. advising is sure like we can have an argument like why are we involved but actual warriors, actual fighters down there, that, no. that's disconcerting. And I would also be very uh, concerned about the kind of person that gleefully smiles with excitement at meeting Joe Biden. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> no, but, but for real, I mean, look, if you talk to the average American, they don't like Joe Biden. No. Not, you, you'll, you'll find your average Democrat who despises Donald Trump with the most extreme Trump derangement syndrome does not like Joe Biden. But they'll still vote for him. And that I get. That's fine. My point is, they don't meet Joe Biden and go, yeah, fist bump, high five. Like, it's so great to meet yeah. you. And I look at this photo of these guys shaking Biden's hand, and I'm like, I am worried about. Although, you know, I mean, he's the they're, boss. they're military and he's the president. Yeah. That's basically all but that's, that's my really point. going that's on That's my point. There. You know, it's just, his, the, his the, approval rating is down 11 points among Democrats right now. But this, right. Is, this, yeah, this is, is my great. point. The idea that there are people who are like, I'm excited to meet him. He's the boss. Hoorah. And it's just like, dude. Biden's an evil, evil yeah. guy. Yeah. Like you should be like, I am, you should be ashamed that he is the one giving orders. Agree. But I think perhaps for a lot of these guys that are doing the top tiered stuff, they don't think Joe Biden's yeah. the boss. They, well, yeah. I mean, the, the those like, just because the picture they, they were smiling with, like, I don't think that, I think it's likely that they were putting a face on because yeah. you don't spit in the face of the president. I would be, I would be magnanimous if I met the president. I would say that it was a, I would be kind and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Smile but as well, you know. My, my bigger concern is the excitement to meet him and get a photo op and do all these things instead of being like, look, I get he's the president. I'll be respectful. There's a difference. Yeah. I, well, I, I'm, pr I'm fairly confident. I can't say for sure, but I'm, I'm fairly confident that they were getting ribbed later on. <laughs> the dudes were like, really? Because well, uh, there's people that I know that are that are like not in the military that also know dudes that are like, like that. And they're just like, yeah, those, they, they weren't. Uh, well, look, I want to go back to what you're saying about like, you know, how could any of them have faith in him as their commander in chief? Remember in 2013, Barack Obama tried to take us to war in Syria yep. over the first fake sarin attack. And essentially the American military and and any potential volunteers were like, no, we're not following Barack Obama into battle. That's our commander in chief. Yep. Forget it. Well, look, if Barack Obama was JFK, then Joe Biden's LBJ. Who has faith in him? Let's, like no one you're gonna sign your son up for the service when joe biden's the one calling the shots let's i go. mean if you're already on the delta team i guess you might not quit 
but who wants to send their son to join the service right now? Let's go back in time. Let's, uh, yeah. So we have this period under Barack Obama. Oh boy, did I fall for that one in uh, 2008. I had all my friends being like, he's going to end these wars, man. We, we all hate the wars. We all hate what George W. Bush was doing. And I was like, all right, whatever. I guess I'll vote for the guy. And then Barack Obama gets in and like day three, he's like, I'm going to blow some kids up. Got to blow them up. Too many of them. And then we like, I remember one of the first. <laughs> too many of them. Exactly. That's Seamus joke. Seamus, shout out Seamus Coughlin. Uh, Got to blow them up. Too many. And uh, when it's like day three of his presidency. Yep, in Pakistan. Yeah, it was it was like 23 women and children were killed in a village in, a, in yep. an airstrike or whatever. And I was just like, that was the wedding, right? Wasn't it a wedding? Well, I'm not, I don't it's think it's been a long time. So. There were a lot of weddings. There I don't think that particular okay. one was. But. but that one sticks with me. Pakistan, civilians killed. And I said, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. He's there now. Obama was supposed to say no. And then, oh, boy, did I learn quick. Mm -hmm. I, how old was I in 2008? And I was just like, well, that was fun. I'm out. Well, I I in, like that, uh, in that election, I remember because I was in New York doing like indie art projects and everyone was very on board with Obama. And I remember telling them like he promised that he was going to send more troops to Afghanistan. And they were like, no, he didn't. And I was like, no, he totally said he was going to send more guys to Afghanistan, which I can't vote for him because of that because he's, you know, right. my goal is to vote anti-war. And they were like, well, he's not going to do that. And then of course he did that. These were also the same people who, when he put the Obamacare into place that had a mandate. And if you didn't sign up for health insurance, you would get taxed extra. They were like, that's great. And then when they got taxed extra, they were like, why me? Seriously. It's partisanship is the mind killer. It's the worst. And you're right. He out vowedly said he was going to escalate the Afghan war. Although, yes. And I write about this. So I got, I got a chapter two on this in fool's errand. What he really said, he wanted to send a couple brigades which was mostly just like a PR thing that he was saying Afghanistan is the good war, Iraq is the bad war, whatever. Then as soon as he got into power, they just absolutely rolled him. And it was the Secretary of Defense, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Generals Petraeus and McChrystal in alliance with McCain and Graham in the Senate. And they spent nine months pressuring him to escalate that war by 70,000 troops, which eventually he did. Yep. And, and Lindsey Graham promised him, he said, give us a number. This is after he already sent 40. Graham said, give us, us being him and McCain, give us a number that starts with a three and we'll leave you alone. Meaning 30,000 something yep. more troops. And Obama made the deal. So here was his calculation, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna triple a war that I know I can't win. I know that I'm going to get thousands of American soldiers shot and blown up and killed. I know I'm going to get tens or hundreds of thousands of Afghans killed. But it's going to keep John McCain off my back. We made a deal. And, and that was what he did. And so he escalated the war and then he lost it anyway. Lindsey Graham is vile, evil. You saw what he just said recently, right? Yeah. With or without evidence, it's time to start bombing Iranian targets. Yep. In, he wants to go to war with Iran so bad. And it, I know that there are still like holdovers in the in the government that still think it's a good idea. I don't think that there's anyone in America that thinks it's a good idea. No regular people in America that you. think it's a good idea to engage in a war with Iran. Right. Look, in 2007, Dick Cheney and George Bush wanted to. Yep. They, they were escalating the war. They launched the, the Iraq war surge. And then they even dropped the lies about the nuclear weapons program for a minute to focus on the lies that they claimed. And people should check this. It's not true. And I wrote it all up in enough already. They claimed that Iran was responsible for every roadside bomb that went off in Shiite parts of Iraq. And it's just not true. They were all being made in Iraq by Iraqis. But that was the propaganda. And that was supposed to be the excuse for the war. And then what happened was the 
the Joint Chiefs brought George W. Bush to the Pentagon. And I believe this was in January or February of 2007. And they went to the tank, like the secure room in the basement or whatever. And they told W. Bush, we're not going to Iran. Like maybe the Air Force and the Navy talk tough with their air power, but the Army and the Marines who are already getting chewed up in Iraq and Afghanistan and the Special Operations Forces, they will die by the thousands and thousands and maybe tens of thousands in a war because you have to send in, to, to take out the anti-aircraft, you have to send in Special Operations yep. Forces with laser designators to take out the anti-aircraft. And you sure can't win a war or get a real regime change from the air. All you could do is some kind of crazy punitive strike anyway. Right. And as they put it, they you need said, guys with guns. They said, that's right. We do not have strategic, uh, I forgot the word for it. What was it? The strategic dominant, that's not the term for it. I'm sorry. Uh, I believe it was, eh, I'm sorry. Anyway, the point was the Pentagon, they want to be able to, um, oh, escalation dominance. Pardon me. This was the term I'm looking for. We, we don't want to fight unless we have escalation dominance, meaning we control every stage of the war. So yep. when we do this, they'll do that. But don't worry, because then we'll do this. Not and then soon. they'll do that, and but we have that covered. And they said, but in the case of Iran, we do not have escalation dominance. In the case of Iran, if we attack Iran, they have tens of thousands of missiles. Now, luckily, we don't have 100,000 troops in Iraq and Afghanistan anymore, but we got tens of thousands in Kuwait. We still do have thousands in Iraq, low thousands in Iraq. And we have... The Fifth Fleet Navy base at Bahrain, and we have CENTCOM headquarters at the Al Ulid base in Qatar. And our allies, the Saudis, Bahrain, UAE, have trillions of dollars worth of economic targets all up and down the western side of that Gulf. And if I, we go to war with Iran, every bit of that is up for grabs, including our Navy and air base there. A geography lesson would wake a lot of Americans oh, yeah. up very quickly. So you can pull this up. This is Google Maps. Figure it out. As soon as you look at the map, you go, now I get it. Iraq, Afghanistan. Two amazing uh, coincidental countries for the U.S. That's not a bunch of military bases in. And Kuwait, where we have a bunch of troops. I wonder why that may be. And what do you think Iran is thinking surrounded by U.S. military assets? This has been the plan for a long time. In fact, Cenk Uger mentioned... Um, what, Wesley Clark, was that his name? Yes. Scott, yeah. Who talked about the seven nations the U.S. Was, right. wanted to, to mm -hmm. invade, and, and uh, Iran's one of them. Are, uh, have we, have, has the U.S. gone after all of them already, or, or which ones have Almost. Not? Okay, Almost. so... All right, so it's a great anecdote. People who aren't familiar, you ought to look this up. It's uh, General Wesley Clark. He was the guy that did the Kosovo War for Bill Clinton. He was the Supreme Allied Commander of NATO in 1999. Uh, almost got us all killed in a in World War Three. There, ask me about that anecdote later. But anyway, uh, and this gets right to the neocons and the Israel lobby in the United States. Um, he went to the Pentagon right after September 11th, and an officer said, "General, come here. I want to show you something," and showed him this piece of paper. He said, "This is the plan for a regime change in the new war." He said, "We're going to war with Iraq." And Wesley Clark said, Iraq? Why would we go to Iraq? They don't have anything to do with September 11th or Al-Qaeda, of course. And the guy said, yeah, no, check it out. So the list was, I hope I can get this right. The list was Iraq, Lebanon, by which they meant not necessarily everyone in Beirut, but Hezbollah yeah. in Lebanon, Syria, Libya, Somalia, and did I already say Sudan, and Iran, ending with Iran. Well, they got, they did Iraq War II. They failed to do the regime change in Syria. They did Libya. 
they broke off the south from Sudan. Um, and, you know, there was regime change there, although I don't know if there was America's sock puppets really that took over or not. Uh, but they certainly broke the country in half. And so the only one left um, is, uh, well, and, and Hezbollah still stands. Yeah. And then is Iran. And so, look, this gets to all of a rock word, too. Let's talk about the clean break. Have you ever read the paper, A Clean Break? <laughs> or have you ever heard of that? <laughs> okay. So, um, David Wormser is an important neoconservative apparatchik. He was foreign policy advisor to Dick Cheney in the W. Bush, uh, first W. Bush term. And in 1996, when Benjamin Netanyahu was brand new, the first, the first time he was the prime minister of Israel, he came in in 96. And David Wormser, Douglas Fife, and Richard Pearl wrote this study. And these are American neoconservatives. It's called A Clean Break, A New Strategy for Securing the Realm. And they wrote it for Netanyahu. And what it says is this. It says, Iran... Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Syria and Hezbollah are the threat to Israel, particularly Hezbollah in southern Lebanon, backed by Iran and Syria. And what we want to do is we want to break that chain. And then get this. They said to break that chain, what we want to do is we want to get rid of Saddam Hussein in Iraq. Huh? Saddam Hussein is the Sunni, the minority Sunni dictator sitting on a supermajority Shiite population. And Iran and Hezbollah, of course, are these fundamentalist Shiite regimes. So wh why does it make sense? To these neocons to get rid of Saddam Hussein. Well, it was this ridiculous Rube Goldberg scheme that they had come up with. If we get you, rid of Saddam Hussein, who's Rube Goldberg? Oh, Rube Goldberg is the guy that makes the ridiculous, like the the, the mousetrap machine, okay. 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 where it's like a hundred little gears breakfast. turn to make. Yeah, Pee Wee Herman's perpetual, breakfast. The exactly. Perpetual motion right. machine. That's exactly right. Pee Wee Herman's breakfast. That's right. That's There's probably a lot of young people. Some Gen Z people no are like what? what? <laughs> yeah, y'all, y'all get the Pee Wee's Big Adventure off the Pirate Bay tonight. It's it's a classic. <laughs> it's a great movie. Um, I think it's on probably on Netflix. Must yeah. be. But look, so so here was the scheme. Okay, the Rube Goldberg scheme was if we get rid of Saddam Hussein, then we will get the cousin of the King of Jordan to take over Iraq. And because he's a Hashemite with the blood of the prophet in his veins, all the Shiites will just bend over and kiss his bottom and do whatever he says. Which, this is completely crazy. The Shiites don't revere the Hashemites at all. The Hashemites are Sunnis. And even though the Shiites revere the bloodline of the prophet, it's not like they're priests. And even priests and cardinals and bishops don't have, like, political control over their people directly. So, in other words... They were living in this fantasy world that the Shiites of Iraq would become compliant under the new pro-American installed and pro-Israeli installed regime. And then because Shiite Islam is born in Iraq and then spread into Iran, they would get the Shiite clergy in Najaf to order Hezbollah 
to stop being friends with Iran and start being friends with Israel. And, and Iraq, under these compliant Shiites, would then give the full advantage to America, Jordan, Turkey, and Israel, our friends in the region, against Iran. Well, Tim, this is the dumbest damn thing. <laughs> this makes no sense at all. And, and people can read. It's called A Clean Break by Wormser. The follow-up is called Coping with Crumbling States. And if you really want to know, they wrote a book about it called Tyranny's Ally. And then what really happened in Iraq War II? What happened in Iraq War II was Bush overthrew the minority Sunni dictator and he put the supermajority Shiite population in charge and their political factions who happened to be guys who'd been living in Iran for 30 years since Jimmy Carter had hired uh, Saddam Hussein to invade Iran back after the revolution. And so they were the ones who came and inherited the whole thing. So when we think about Iraq War II of the George W. Bush years, that whole five-year civil war that was going on, that was Bush fighting for Iran's side in the war against his own friends because that was what the neoconservatives thought would be good for Israel. I saw this post on Twitter. They were talking about how Biden's approval collapsed after the Afghan withdrawal. And instead of making the point that Joe Biden botched the withdrawal, and uh, Ian goes off, calling it a surrender. <laughs> I mean, it seems on purpose. They said it was a bad play by Trump and Biden shouldn't have followed through. Instead of it was the right play by Trump and it, Biden intentionally, in my opinion, flubbed the whole thing. Everything. But but this is the point. This is what we the reason I was, why I'll say intentionally now, in my opinion, is that at the time we were asking, did Biden screw this up on purpose to sour the idea of withdrawal in the minds of the American public? The reality was you could withdraw from Afghanistan without causing what, what, what Biden caused. But now what I'm seeing is journalists say Trump's plan was bad and Biden is getting blamed for it. No, well, no Biden's plan, plan was, was bad. Trump put the plan in place way earlier in the spring. That's he had right. made that promise. And there were plenty of opportunities to get started on that withdrawal. And it what happened looked, was, no, I, I hear what you're saying. The Biden administration refused to get started on the withdrawal. And it's, so they had to do it the last minute. It's not just that. It's they they abandoned Bagram in the middle of yeah, the night without telling the Afghani security it. forces. Mm -hmm. They left all. Well, they, I, they I think they turned it over to the to the ANA, but the ANA couldn't hold in the, it. In the middle of the night, in the middle of the night, the uh, U.S. forces pulled out without without notice, and s regular Afghani's just looted the the, the buildings. And uh, 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 there were uh, helicopter pilots. I think this is like New York Times reporting that instantly lost logistics and didn't know what was going on, landed the helicopters and ran away yeah. because they were like, there's no one anymore. No, I'm not talking. There was, it was just, it was an insane, insane move. And I think what they wanted, yes, Joe Biden uh, gets the negativity from it, but they don't think Joe, I, I do not see Joe Biden being the candidate in 2024. It makes literally no sense. He's there. He's their their sacrificial lamb, their scapegoat. Now, what they're going to do, and they're starting to do it, is saying, you see what happens when we withdraw? It's right. chaos, American side. We can't, we have to stay and keep the right. troops overseas. Everything, well, go well, ahead. Go everything ahead. that also, was bad about the, the, uh, the withdrawal from Afghanistan was all tactics. It was not, none of it was policy. Like, well, no, no, I disagree with that. It was, it wait, was wait, wait, insane wait. how they left I, all, of the, all of the weapons, but yeah. now what we have is the Taliban saying, if you give me safe passage, will destroy Israel for you. Well, they're not getting anywhere near Israel. Check the map again. Put the map right. up. I'm just saying, that's, that's, <laughs> but, that, that, that is the goal okay, of the but, Taliban is to now destroy Israel. Now, here's the thing, Israel. though. So, look, you make a great point about the narrative here about, oh, yeah, see what happens when you ever leave anywhere? Something bad happens, right? <laughs> you're, you're right. I don't believe that that was the reason that they did what they did, though, and I can explain why. Here's what they did. Okay, 
Trump, as she said, absolutely correctly, Libby said, Trump's deal was we leave by May 1st. We're out by May the 1st. Okay, that's the start of the fighting season, right? Everything's frozen over until the summertime essentially comes. That's the start of the fighting season. We were supposed to be gone by then. Biden came in and said, well, I don't want to live up to Trump's deal. I want it to be my Afghan withdrawal, not Trump's Afghan withdrawal. And I don't want people to be able to say that I did what Trump said I had to do and this and that. So what did he do? He kicked the can down the road for four months to September, which remember they said, we're going to do it September 11th. Like, what do they do? Just public relations. And and you had in Afghanistan, they were like, "Uh, you kind of promised. But here's the deal that you guys need to understand about the war. Okay, the war was lost. They had to leave, okay? Bush and Obama lost that war before Trump ever got there. The Taliban were ascendant. They controlled 60% of the country in the daytime. They controlled 80 or more percent of it at night. Part of it was they didn't know what a win looks like. They didn't know what a win would look like. The policy was wrong. Look, let's just stick with the withdrawal here for a second. If Biden was going to tell the truth to the American people about that war, he would have had to tell them, listen, we lost. The government that we built has no popular support. It cannot stand. The military that we built has no popular support. It cannot stand. We failed. We're leaving. But he couldn't do that, right? He had to say, what did he say? He said, we won the war. It was great. (laughs) We built a great government in Kabul, which will surely last for years. And we built this great, magnificent Afghan National Army, 300,000 men strong. And it's sure to last for years, too. That's why we can leave. Not because we blew it, but because we did it, everybody. And so now we can go. Well, by sticking to that lie... That meant they had to leave all those weapons in the hands of the Afghan National Army that couldn't (laughs) hold on to them and ended up turning them all over to the Taliban. And because they had to pretend that they had created a government worth its salt in Kabul, they couldn't abandon it and leave the city early or they would have been accused of undermining the government and being the reason that it fell. So they had to stick with their lie that everything is fine. Meanwhile, the Taliban are walking right into Kabul because it's four months behind schedule that they're leaving. And you know, and you know what else comes from this with the Taliban getting access to a lot of these weapons? Certainly they can't maintain a lot of it. So a lot of it right. just instantly falls Shelf apart. Life, yeah. But with a lot of the guns and the, uh, the, the, the materials that are available to just ground forces, it allows the U.S. to have a recurring problem and reason to be in the Middle East. It's possibly. also, they are also... Um, Hard to get back to Afghanistan. Yeah, I mean, but it's if, not even necessarily Afghanistan, about Afghanistan. Been... It's the reporting that, or the rumors at least, that weapons left behind by the U.S. are being used by Hamas sure. and other yeah. and other. Uh, yeah, that was militants. reporting from the Wall Street Journal. They yeah. were reporting right. about that in in June that that was likely to be happening. Mm-hmm. And there's also reports that the technology has been reverse engineered. Uh, and like that they're able to build you know we saw that staff. video of them trying to fly a helicopter and they're like going yeah. in circles when or whatever it come, when yeah. it comes they're to they can make ak-47 yeah when it comes right. to the small yeah. arms they're like there's yeah. there's they're building ak-47s and they're building at least small arms in the sure. mountains of afghanistan between yeah. uh pakistan and afghanistan there's there's a, a whole arms market up there where you can go and buy copies of of fully like automatic. Louis Vuitton handbags you know what except <laughs> ak-47 exactly. let me tell you a story though Here's how my first book that was this book about all of the terror wars became a different book, Fool's Errand, about Afghanistan. It's because I got stuck in Afghanistan because it's <laughs> such a huge story. It's 20 years long, and, but the whole thing takes place east of Persia. 
and then and so I knew it was people are going to be mad at me that it takes too long before we get to Iraq War II. So I ended up, you know what? Fine, I'll just do a whole book about Afghanistan. And I'll get back to the to the rest of the Middle East later, because the rest of the whole story of the Bush and Obama years takes place in Mesopotamia and the Levant. What's going on in Afghanistan is, I hate to say it, but almost irrelevant in a you, sense. It's separate from the rest of the story. Whereas the war in Iraq immediately bleeds to Libya, to Syria, and the rest of the story comes from Bush Jr.'s invasion of Iraq War II in 03. Do you think religion uh, plays a role in high-level uh, military? Uh, I, I'm trying to be careful here. Uh, obviously, religion plays a role to varying degrees, but do you think that actual, like, uh, revelatory religious fanaticism is a in, component in the air force more than other places but yes i do i think we, in the we, air force th yes you know there's a guy named mikey weinstein who sued about this over and over and over again about um you know religious freedom inside the services and it's particularly the air force has been taken over at least this is my dad is 10 years old here but uh from what I'd heard before, he had real holy rollers who believe that, yeah, nuclear war will help force Jesus to come back and all this kind right, of stuff. We, so and there are people who really believe that with power and influence in this yeah. country. That, that And it's 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 tough because I think Occam's razor is always there's money to be made for the military industrial complex. There's power to be had. There's grudges. There's generational conflict. But we are I bring this up because. There are uh, uh, people pushing this rumor. And, and you know, I think Jen kind of took it the wrong way when I said that uh, there's videos of people claiming, you know, Israel is the blessed Holy Land, members of Congress saying this, and many people who believe that there has to be this war for there to be the messianic era or whatever. I'm not talking about any of these anti-Semitic conspiracy theories about world control or dominance. I'm talking about people who generally just believe the Bible. Sure. And the Bible says that there'll be this great war. There's been uh, people have been taught there's uh, uh, forward. I think it was forward.com wrote about the red heifer that was born. I'm not saying I believe any of that is true. I'm wondering to what degree does a lot of people are very deeply religious. I'm wondering to what degree that influences their actions. I, I think it has. I guess I would say in the in the councils of the highest levels of the Pentagon and the White House, I don't think that they have that much influence, but in the nation. In the country overall, they do. And in the Republican Party and in the Congress, they absolutely do. I mean, look, after September 11th, Colin Powell told George Bush, just like James Baker told his father, your approval rating is through the roof. We have to do a Palestinian state now. Now is the time. This is one of the main causes of terrorism against our country is the Israeli suppression of the Palestinians. And Bush was convinced and they started to do it. Wow. And then what happened was Tom DeLay, the House Majority Whip, from Texas came to W. Bush and said, you want to be a one-term president like your father? Because I'll turn every born-again evangelical Christian in this country against you and you will be toast. Why do, and, you think the, uh, why do you think the Palestinians have for so long, even going back to the founding of Israel, rejected a two-state solution? Even the one Bill Clinton proposed, I think, in 92 that was really generous well, and, and pretty strong and would have given them a lot. We're skipping around a lot here. Sure, but, but if I'm, you, I'm if, just asking your it, opinion on that. Okay, I mean, if you want to go back to the beginning of it, it was because this, what, 11% of the population were claiming to own half the land, more than half the land, and everyone else was going to have to get the hell out of the way. What and about all violently, There have been so many. Violently massacring them and cleansing them from their homes. And so they said no. But then what happened? I mean, first of all, well, there's a lot of first of alls here. But what happened was Israel made a secret deal with the king of Jordan that he would keep the West Bank. And then at the end of the war, 
they had Egypt keep the Gaza Strip just so that the Palestinians could not have their state. So quite contrary to this myth, that Israel has done nothing but try to give the Palestinians independence all this time. I'm talking they, about the American proposals. There have been a lot of American proposals. Well, that was in 92, but you asked about right. 48. Right, first. I'm, saying, so I'm why, saying why have they rejected it all along? Like you're saying it's a different reason each time. Well, I mean, to skip from 48 to 92 is tough. And there's obviously a lot at issue here. If you want to do, let me do the, the narrative in the broad okay, stroke thing, it. okay? So, so picture your map of, of Israel and Palestine that you have in your head right now. In the 1948 war, I mean, forget morality and normative, just descriptive, okay? Israel won the war and they cleansed 750,000 Palestinians out of what we now call Israel proper within the 67 borders, okay? And they pushed them into other nations across the Middle East and they pushed them into the Gaza Strip and the West Bank. Uh, and they took as far as West Jerusalem, okay? Now, regardless of, you know, who you sympathize with or whatever, just factually speaking, that was sustainable. What they created was sustainable in the sense that they created an 80-20 super-duper majority Jewish democracy. It had 80% Jews, 20% Palestinian, Muslims, and Christians inside Israel, we're talking about now, not the occupied territories. And this is after the Six-Day War? This is after the... Um, Wasn't that 67? No, no, I'm, I'm talking before 67. Oh, I thought you were talking about 67. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, so 67 is next, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so before 67, they had created essentially this 80-20 super-duper majority Jewish democracy. Then in the 67 War, which was started by Israel, they claimed it was preemptive regardless, Israel won the war. The Palestinians, of course, had nothing to do with it. They were just stuck in the middle. Um, but Israel beat Jordan and Egypt and Syria in that war. And they took the Gaza Strip and the West Bank. Mm -hmm. And you could say, guys, that, look, they really de facto annexed all of Gaza and the West Bank then. Yeah, but they Egypt kept, was pissed, for but sure. They, but they kept all the people. So unlike in 1948, where they drove all the people off their land and created this 80-20 super-duper majority Jewish state. They let everyone stay in their they, homes. Well, they couldn't force them all out. They actually did force 235,000 people out of their homes, more out of their homes. But they still, overall, they kept the people of the West Bank. So they're essentially kidnapped now, right? So they, are, they, are, they were conquered were they in, kidnapped or they were let to stay where they lived? Well, it's sort of the same thing in a sense. I mean, I'm, it's a turn of phrase here that I'm using. But mm -hmm. what, I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is that Palestine, the, the Palestinian people have had nothing like independence this whole time. They've been under the occupation of Israel, first the, under Jordan and Egypt, and then under Israel since 67. Okay, so when like Ben Shapiro, for example, or my friend here last night on Twitter says, well, what would we do if the Mexicans were attacking us across our international border here? Cartels. Well, even well, then. We'd do nothing because we are being attacked. Yeah, not, not with rockets. Yeah, we, by cartels and we but, do nothing. So we let seven We open the border in. for them. We, what, open the, we kiss them on the cheeks. What? what well, we give let, them Xboxes and tents. We let them populate Central Park. All right, let's do the southern border in a minute. Um, <laughs> But so un unlike in the Ben Shapiro analogy, which everybody's heard a million times, 
there is no international border here. It, see, when you most people, I'm not saying in this room, but I just mean in America. Generally speaking, if you say the Israelis and the Palestinians, well, it sounds like the Palestinians already have a country because everybody has a country and you just called them Palestinians. So they must be from the country called Palestine, right? Except no, you got a bug right behind you on your chair there, buddy. Oh, yeah, those little stink bugs, they do their thing. He is actually cute. Friendly little guy. He was over here for a while. So what happened was, um, (laughs) the, uh, (laughs) blasted him. He's alive, though. I just blew him off with the... So, so, since 67, they've been under occupation. Now, David Ben-Gurion, the first prime minister, said, this is crazy. We shouldn't do this. We should let them go right now. We don't want to essentially, in a way, again, accept my turn of phrase, import by expanding their territory they're in a sense importing this massive population of palestinian muslims and christians that they don't want and so well, david ben gurion jordan doesn't want them egypt doesn't want them no one wants them well and that's partially because if the israeli jews are able to cleanse all of historic palestine of all their muslim population then they lose all their claim to their holy sites it's their land that they want to keep. They were the ones who were there first. They're the ones being cleansed what from is, their land by the Israelis. Well, first means they were living there all along. But what, like, and what, 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 for, for generations back into antiquity, when a bunch of Russians and Lithuanians and Germans and New Yorkers showed up and said the land belonged to them. Antiquity? And yeah, into yeah, ancient times. In fact, here, I'm glad this has come up because I got a great quote for you here. I've been talking about this lately, but I had forgotten what the actual source was. But what you're saying But the actual source is David Ben Gurion himself. You're, you're, you're saying that with the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Who that said it, uh, Muslims always, always uh, well, had this land? Had been there. That's right. Because here's why. Because when the Muslims came and took over that land, they did not cleanse the land of the people who lived there. All, and they did not invade it with a giant occupying force to replace them. All they did was take them over and tax them. And then the deal was, if you convert to Islam, you get a uh, tax cut. Basically, you pay less. And so the local uh, people all converted to Islam by force and this and yeah, essentially but yeah by coercion right yeah, it's by and, and so but wait but so these are the same people who are the descendants of the ancient Hebrews and the source for this is David Ben-Gurion himself okay this is from Sheldon Richmond's book which we published at the Institute and Sheldon my good friend was raised Jewish and Zionist until he learned all of this stuff and he wrote this great book coming to Palestine about it and and on page 11 and 12 here he quotes David Ben-Gurion and his partner, Yitzhak Ben-Zvi, who is Israel's second president, and, and who was also a professional historian, and they wrote a book in 1918 called Eretz Israel in the Past and in the Present. 
And in there, I won't read you the whole quote, but in there, they describe in detail, Ben-Gurion says, the ancient Hebrews never left. So You so, can't take a farmer from his soil. They were there the whole time. And so the what was happening was the descendants of the ancient Hebrews in who had stayed in Palestine were being replaced by the descendants of the ancient Hebrews who'd gone off to Europe and then their descendants came home as though there's no statute of limitations and 3000 years later you can come and say this is my land you can't live here when but if the if the argument is one people conquered another people then all you're ar arguing now is another people are conquering another people Right, like well, yeah. that's right, but but look, I'm not okay with any of it, but I understand it happened, and I, you know, I I wonder what the solutions would be. Well, we're trying right. to minimize so, casualties. Look, I mean, all we're trying to do here is describe the reality of the situation, Tim. Most of the time, again, if you listen to Ben Shapiro, which many people do, you would think there already was some kind of two-state solution, and now the nation-state of Palestine has sent its terrorist forces to attack and invade Israel. When that's not what happened, what happened was essentially. Indians broke out of their reservation and attacked the people in town. What, and that's not a fight between sovereigns. That's a fight essentially between refugees in a prison camp versus the nation state that conquered them. And when you at least explain- it was against, It's against the population because they did go after innocent people. That's right. Of course they did. And, and let's talk about that in just a second. But just overall, just the situation of who's attacking who and, and the relative power. Like, if America went to war with Mexico, that wouldn't be a fair fight, but at least they have a national government and a national army. I that's I different. That would be a fair fight, but That's different than if we just start carpet right, bombing the Navajo reservation out in Arizona. But, I mean, imagine imagine some, some Indians in the reservation out west go into town and massacre a thousand Anglos. Do we carpet bomb the reservation? Or we find the people who are responsible and their commanders the who Navajo, send them. If the Navajo massacred a thousand Americans off the reservation, yeah, it'd be federally occupied. What they'd would wipe we out do? The, they'd wipe out the reservation. We, no, no, yeah. we would not either. Occupy. No, we would not. We, we sure occupy. would. No, we would. Yeah, we, we would. would. No, we it would be would, occupied. We would find the individuals responsible and the men who sent them, and we would hold them to account. A thousand they would Americans. Be, they would be. They would be prosecuted in criminal court. We killed a and million people in Iraq. Yeah, <laughs> September 11th. We massacred everybody at Waco and Ruby Ridge for far less. Well, like, this, and, this is not an endorsement and, and they, of it. And look, they killed a hell of a lot of Indians at Wounded yeah. Knee too, and in second Wounded Knee. However, okay, we, well, we let, me Indians, Indians, let me rephrase it. Let me rephrase it. Would you support too. would you support carpet bombing an Indian reservation over an atrocity when you know good and damned well that the FBI and the Marshal Service can handle this? No. You're going to send in the military and and you, you know you, you're going to kill innocent people. If you're saying that if you're saying that the Navajo Nation which struggles to have electricity and refrigeration just to afford- Like the people of Gaza? No, like the people of the Navajo Nation, the Navajo Hopi Reservation, right? Like there's solar panel structures to keep refrigerators going to make sure that they have insulin, the insulin stays cold. If you're saying that these people, if they, if like there was a, if there was a militia to the point where um, they had a militia and they decided to murder a thousand Americans. I think that, that would, first of all, that would be really shocking. And I would think very long and hard about the, the structure of the, um, you know, 
Well, that's well, a great point. Me, you would they, wonder they, what they were so upset the, about. The interior, the Department of the Interior. No, I wouldn't worry what they were upset about. But I, well, on, let, let, I would. Well, I, maybe Hillary Clinton sold their uranium to the Russians, and they all got cancer, and they're actually upset and got something to fight about. Let me, let me, let me, let me answer. Okay, wait, 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 let me, let me literally answer the question instead of just going back and forth. Um, if the Navajo Nation mounted a raid that killed one thousand. Americans, it's not it's not some arbitrary question of carpet bombing them. It's a question of military capabilities, what we expect in terms of future actions against us and what amounts to justice. I would be quite concerned with the carpet bomb on the Navajo reservation because they don't have support from Iran or they don't have access to rockets. They're not produced. We're not being bombed by them consistently. Rockets aren't launching out of various areas. We don't need to do that. Yes, the marshals and U.S. forces could go in there. Yeah, but even if they were armed with rockets, I mean, look, we call them rockets because you don't dare call them missiles because they're not real missiles and they didn't get shipped from Iran. They made them out of water pipes, right? They're, these are, you know, uh, barely amount to Katusha rockets. The fact, look, the reason it's so important that we talk about the difference between, uh, you know, whether if, we're talking about a sovereign nation or an Indian reservation, what you're supposed to take from that is everybody in this country knows that the great white father back east, Joe Biden, and his armed forces have one billion times the strength and the power of any Indians on any reservation, and that if they did break out and commit some terrible atrocity, that Uncle Sam ought to be able to negotiate a peaceful solution from here. And again, the individuals responsible would be prosecuted in court. It wouldn't be a war. I, they I, would go to they would go to court and then they'd be hanged. Michael Reinel. And was he was he given his day in court? Who's that? The guy who shot Aaron Danielson in Portland. I don't in know. I mean, the Branch Davidians didn't get their day in court either, but they should have. Should have. They should have. I do not expect the U.S. government to be honest yeah. and bear integrity when dealing with these things. Did 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 did, I mean, did people of Iraq get a fair trial after 9/11? The U.S. just decided to lie to wage war overseas, which resulted in untold deaths, and we're still pissed off about it. Uh, it, it was it was an insane move that we went to Afghanistan in Iraq over 9/11. 9/11 was an atrocity. Uh, uh, this country and uh, uh, for, for this country, everybody knows that. And three thousand people lost their lives. The stories that come out of nine eleven are uh, they're stories of great heroism, which inspire. But the whole day was just so horrifying, and the reaction was just untold more dead with lies. The U.S. did not have a fair day in court. I I, I fully expect evil actions. Uh, it should should something like that occur? I wish it yeah, was. Yeah, but dude, you're talking about a bunch of Egyptians and Saudi nationals who hijack planes working for a foreign terrorist group. Right. In and my then we analogy, went to war in two wait, countries. Wait, no, we're talking about Indians on the reservation because we're talking about Israel and the Palestinians. That's not the same as Al-Qaeda attacking us on an international jihad. We're talking about, look, in, the point about bringing up the Navajo is not to impugn the Navajo. It's to point out that they are already licked. They're already beaten. They live in a concentration camp under the total control of the United States government. But they can so leave. If, so if wait, something... Wait, wait, hold, hold on. Like, uh, well, no. I, look, it's not a perfect analogy, but I'm just saying the relative power versus the Indians on the res versus the U.S. federal government means if something very terrible happens, the onus should be on the American national authorities to resolve it peacefully from there I not to call in the army to wipe out a bunch of innocent men women and children and look at the history of israel and palestine here where 
They've had problems with terrorism from the leftists, from the nationalists, from the Islamists, the whole time. And how do they handle it? They went in, they get them one at a time. It's only since Netanyahu that they do these massive bombing campaigns. You can go in. Again, we're talking about a reservation. You can go in and pick these guys off one at a time. So you think the response to from the Hamas attack would be for Israel to do like strategic incursion with forces to remove Hamas. Yes, they should listen to That's what to AOC it. said. They yeah. should, I don't care about that. Listen, what you just said was that America got all emotional and did a bunch of stupid wrong things Absolutely. after September 11th. Israel ought to listen to you and they ought to not do that. They yeah. ought to be smart. And look, I wrote an article a couple of weeks ago and, and we do need to get into why Netanyahu likes Hamas so much and supported them in Palestine uh, because that's a huge part of this, okay? Yeah. Because we, get, we keep getting distracted off our points and probably that's mostly my fault. But... Um, uh, and hell, now I forgot what I was going to say about you were that. Talking about the, you were you were leading to the comment, uh, the the link you sent, which is something that I was. Oh, the reaction. The, yes, the reaction. Yes, the reaction. Okay, so Saul Alinsky stuff. So look, okay, yes, you guys are familiar with Saul Alinsky, the leftist Very. radical yep. community organizer guy, right? Okay, page seventy four of Rules for Radicals says that in all asymmetric political action, the action is in the reaction of the opposition. Yeah. Right. So like bin Laden has a group of 400 bandits. He's trying to take on the superpower. How do you do it? You get the superpower to kill itself. Right. Right. You give them an opportunity to go wild and do something self-destructive. OK. In this case, Hamas was trying. And probably there are people who are siding with the Palestinians who might not want to hear this part of it. The reason that Hamas committed the atrocity that they committed you on, mean on October, October 7th? the 7th. Yes. On October the 7th, which, by the way. An extended family member of mine was abducted and murdered by Hamas in that atrocity. Condolences. Okay. And, and by the way, my wife almost would have died on September 11th, except she was homesick at her parents' house. But wow. she had an office in the tower wow. and would have been killed on September 11th. Okay. So I don't have any love or sympathy for these armed Islamist murderers. That's exactly what they are. Okay. But they're not just devils and they're not just angry children. And Muhammad didn't come from hell to give them instructions to do a bad thing. These are human men, and they're fighting about politics. So why okay? they, they do it? So why they did it was to provoke Netanyahu into doing exactly what he's doing now. Carpet bombing the Gaza Strip, slaughtering Gazan Palestinian civilians by the thousands so Hamas knew ones. that this would result Hamas in a massacre of their own that. people that's exactly so they right well, 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 that's, 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 that's right wait wait wait, wait. First, let me finish now real quick one point for your question of course Hamas knew right of now, course now they did. motivations aside I, they, uh, there's, there's no other reaction not just right. they knew not just that mm -hmm. not just they knew this is what they wanted to happen okay absolutely because with the reaction then comes all the counter reactions Right. So what, how we start the show at the top of the show today, America hits Iranian sites in Syria because they had sent drones yep. after our guys in Syria because of what Israel is doing in Gaza. Right. It, at the Lebanese border with Hezbollah, you got so far just pot shots going off back and forth, but that could quickly escalate. Wait, wait, wait. Now, every Shiite militia in Iraq has to take a stand. The Ayatollah in Tehran gets to get up there and beat his chest. Now, every Sunni king in Arabia, all of the American sock puppets, Mohammed bin uh, Salman and, and Mohammed bin Zayed 
in in Saudi and in UAE. They all have to take a stand. Are they going to be silent uh, because they're good little sock puppets of the empire? Or are they going to agree with 100% of the public opinion of the people in their countries? This could destabilize the whole region. It's already... Remember when I was here yep. a year and a half ago, we talked about the Abraham Accords. Yep. And what was the purpose of the Abraham Accords? This was the Netanyahu doctrine that said... We can, with enough American tax money, <laughs> we can make peace, well, not peace, but we can finally permanently normalize relations with Bahrain, UAE, not Bahrain, with, uh, it was UAE. yes, Bahrain, UAE, Saudi, Saudi Sudan, and mm -hmm. Morocco. That's right. And we can do this without... Without making the peace with the Palestinians. Right. That's right. And so, and, and that in fact, made the pal Palestinians before, pissed off. And so they right. took a couple of years to plan this attack. That's right. Yep. And then, and then look what happened. They, they got the reaction that they wanted. And now that all of the Abraham the Accords are in jeopardy. Right. And look, and this is, let's, let's get real honest about here, uh, about this. Even if you absolutely love Israel, and I don't know any reason why not to, it's a land full of civilians. I love them just as much as everybody else. Okay. You wouldn't wish you wouldn't you would not wish Netanyahu on the people of Israel. He has been the longest serving prime minister in Israeli history, longer than uh, than David Ben Gurion. Okay, they call him King Bibi. And so, like, think if September 11th had happened in Bill Clinton's third term. His approval rating would have gone down, right? <laughs> Bush got was off the hook because he'd only been on the job yeah. for eight measly months before that attack happened on his watch, right? This is happening in Netanyahu's fifth term, okay? This is his policy finally come to fruition. It was called the Netanyahu Doctrine. And the Netanyahu Doctrine said, unlike Yitzhak Rabin, who one of his fans assassinated in 1995, Unlike Yitzhak Rabin, who said, we want to demonize Iran so that we can negotiate and make peace with the Arabs, including the Palestinians. The Netanyahu doctrine said, no, we'll make peace with the Arabs, demonize Iran, make peace with the Arabs, but not with the Palestinians. And you can hear him just three weeks ago in his United Nations address. He explains exactly the thinking mm -hmm. behind this. He says, they always said that we could never... Um, uh, normalize relations with the rest of the nations of the region uh, and, and uh, therefore then have peace with the Palestinians unless we make peace with the Palestinians first and give up a Palestinian state first and only then will we be able to get along. But we showed them and we're so smart and we made these deals without um, giving up a Palestinian state and he said but we will have peace and what he's essentially saying between the lines is we're going to have the peace of total victory here. The Palestinians will get nothing and they'll learn to like it. Got, they'll never have independence and they'll never have freedom. I got some trivia for you. Uh, and then this happened two weeks after he said that. What or is, one week after he said that at the UN. Look at me. I got, I got, I got away with it, everybody. I got, said. I got some, I got some trivia for you guys. Khomeini, uh, called for I got, I got, I got some trivia for you. Okay. What, is, what does this mean? That's peace. This is victory. Right. But the, the origin of this sand sign is the same oh. thing. F you. The, the, it's making the V for victory. And so what happens is after the battle, when they hold up the two fingers, we call it peace. Why? Because you killed all your enemies. Yeah. The peace, peace of has, desolation. The peace has been achieved. We've won. And so when people are like, peace out, 
the origin of that is after your enemy was killed, you held up the V yeah. for victory. I always thought that this was <laughs> this was F you because the archers would hold up two They'd fingers be like, because oh. when they when they got caught, they would cut off one of the fingers so they oh, couldn't pull the. But that's it's a v where for this comes from. The, this which, is which people now say peace, but the peace is it's uh, peace so after that, you win. Wait, right. So you, this brings us back to the clean break, okay? Because what was the purpose of of getting rid of Saddam so that we can weaken Hezbollah? It was so that we don't have to abide by the Oslo Agreement and negotiate an independent Palestinian state. But if we screw over the Palestinians while we still have Hezbollah on our northern border, then that's an extra pressure. And so the whole point of the clean break strategy was we need to get America to go to war in Iraq for us so that we don't have to give justice to the Palestinians. What do you let, let me, of... I wanted to ask, uh, when you mentioned Hamas knew this was going to happen, do you think they knew... I mean, you're, you're outlining this, this, this story of dominoes falling over, which mm -hmm. could lead to World War III. And the first right. thing I thought was, if you are Hamas in Gaza, you're thinking World War III is, is, is our only path to any kind of change. Well, look, again, I think World War III is a little hyperbolic. I, I don't foresee Russia getting involved, although it could happen, something like that. We're already in a massive proxy war against Russia right now, as we all know, which is uh, horrifying and terrifying. Um, but they're not that close with the Ayatollah. You know, Russia and Iran, they have their own tensions going back, and they've been getting along okay, and, and Iran has been sending drones for the Russian war effort and that kind of thing, but they don't have like a treaty of alliance where Russia would go to war for Iran. And quite frankly, I think, I think worst case scenario here, the war spreads to Lebanon and possibly Iraq, but I really think that the Americans and, and and the Ayatollahs guys too have got to be cautioning him. And I think the American military has got to be telling Joe Biden how badly they do not want to fight Iraq, Iran. You put that map up earlier there. That country's, what, three, four times the size of Afghanistan? Afghanistan is the size of Texas, okay? People don't understand this too. Um, that's why I say a geography lesson. And this is mountains too. Topography lesson counts too. Yep. This isn't flat desert like nope. Iraq. These are mountains. You cannot win here, man. Mountains, massive with massive air defense. The U.S. military doctrine is is defined by its air superiority. I, I, I really now I don't know how much I believe that there is a is a war with Iran coming, like whether cooler heads will prevail or not. But I strongly believe that if it does happen, the U.S. will justify using tactical nuclear weapons because they'll they'll want to take out the oil reserves. They'll want to take because that's what Lindsey Graham's after. Or they'll use Moabs as big as they possibly can exactly. if they don't want to yeah. get on. If don't they don't want to have. News. What do you make of news. Iran having um, trained Hamas fighters? Well, look, I mean, they have a, a real interest in disrupting the situation in Israel and Palestine. If you really want I mean, Iran was training deep, deep, Hamas fighters before yeah. they were even Hamas, like back in the late 80s, well, when the, Hamas was essentially forming in, yeah. uh, in look, Lebanon with Hezbollah. So, well, no. That's, Hezbollah that's was different. training that's Hamas. That's different. Yeah, Hamas, so was Hamas is part of, yeah, and they're, they're part of the Muslim Brotherhood. And mm -hmm. I, I want to recommend to you and, and to everyone listening, a great book by Robert Dreyfus called Devil's Game, How the United States Helped Unleash Fundamentalist Islam. So it's the U.S.'s it's a, fault that the, the, yes, is, the extremist yes, Islamists? Libby, yes, because America inherited all of the European and the Japanese world empires after World War II. America is 
the dominant force in the Middle East, so how did even we, though so we're we the created, middle part of North we America. We created the people that hate us now? Is that, I'm just trying to not, understand what you're saying. Not, not created in the like oversimplified sense, but mm-hmm. yes, the enemy in the Cold War was first the commies and second the nationalists. And who's opposed to both the commies and the nationalists? The Islamists. And so America and Britain and Saudi Arabia spent billions spreading fundamentalist Islam throughout the region. And not just the Wahhabism of Saudi, but the Muslim Brotherhood essentially was meant to disrupt all secular politics in the region for generations and did so. That was the purpose of it. And that was why America backed the Muslim Brotherhood. That was a huge part of the reason, of course, that America and Saudi worked together to send a bunch of guys, proto-Al-Qaeda guys, to fight the Soviets in Afghanistan in the 1980s, which is where- You mean the Mujahideen, those guys? That's right. Well, because see, there was the Afghan Mujahideen, but then there was the Arab-Afghan army. And these were mercenaries. Again, look at the map. All of these guys are Arabs. Then you have Persia. And mm-hmm. then you have the Afghans who are Hazaras and Tajiks and Uzbeks and Pashtuns, right? They're not Arabs at all. So they sent, they got all these Arabs to come and sent them to fight in Afghanistan, including the guys who were the leaders of what became Islamic Jihad and Al-Qaeda that ended up turning against the United States. So, and in fact, most people don't know this, but throughout the 1990s, when Al-Qaeda was already attacking the United States, Bill Clinton kept supporting them anyway. He supported them in Bosnia and in Kosovo and in Chechnya. And you might remember when Vladimir Putin declared war on Ukraine two and a half or a year and a half ago in his declaration of war, he said, and it's, I like the way he did this too, because he knew it was going to sound like conspiracy stuff. So he phrased it like this. He goes, come on, let's be adults about this. We know what you and Britain were doing in Chechnya. Right. That was true. America was supporting bin Ladenite head choppers, suicide bomber, murderers well, against the Russians. Well, bin Laden was hanging out in Brooklyn. I mean, well, and 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 his men uh, were essentially divided. Right. There was this this they were motivated to attack the United States by one, are stationing a troops in Saudi Arabia, two, in order to bomb Iraq from 1990 all the way through. Okay, through the entire Clinton years, and then support for Israel in their in their occupations of Palestine and at that time of southern Lebanon, as well as support for all the dictatorships in the region. Well, I, so even though Bill Clinton was backing them in Kosovo and in Chechnya, they were still coming for us anyway. He was using them, but he wasn't buying their loyalty. And so I'm not like a 9-11 truther here saying the CIA had them attack us. That's not right. But what happened was they were too clever by half, just like Netanyahu. They think they're so smart. We're going to back these terrorists. And then I'll tell you, I got, I got these great uh, quotes for you guys. Okay. This one is from the American Pentagon in the years before September 11th. They said, terrorism is a small price to pay for being a superpower. <laughs> yeah. okay and what they were thinking was come on somebody sets off a truck bomb at an embassy in africa or something who cares we get to rule the world okay here's a quote just like that libby that you can find from from benjamin netanyahu addressing the leaders of his party the Likud, and he's talking about we anyone who wants to thwart the establishment of a palestinian state has to support 
bolstering Hamas in Gaza. Hey, because uh, they will never deal. But then he said, we control the height of the flame. Right? It's that same imperial arrogance of the Bill Clinton years. Is, that we can use these people to keep things the way we want them, whether to fight our enemies or to divide and conquer our subject peoples. But then what are they going to do? Right? In fact, one more quote was from uh, a female Israeli soldier who warned her superior officers that Hamas is training. They're obviously training hard. They're preparing something. Guys, NBC, and her boss, wait, 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 one, one sec, uh, her NBC, boss well, told her, Breaking news? Yeah, they're there's, there's punks. breaking news, guys. Okay, breaking they're news. punks. They won't do right, anything. Right, right, right. What, what is NBC it? Boston is reporting that uh, the main, the Lewiston main shooter, Robert Carter, has been located and is dead. Oh, oh damn. Okay. Oh, Where is he? Well, good. Uh, they, I don't know. I'm just looking at it right now. This is... Uh, the man suspected in Wednesday's massacre that killed 18 people in Lewiston, Maine, has been found dead, sources told NBC Boston investigators Friday night. Robert Card was the subject of days long of a days-long manhunt that followed mass shootings at the just-in-time recreation bowling alley in Schmemigan's <laughs> Bar and Grill. Schmeggies. Uh, Schmeggies, all right. So um, You're from New Hampshire. You should details, know how to pronounce things. It's it's literally Schmemigans. I know. It's very <laughs> weird. It's Schmeggies. Anyways, um, specific details are not available immediately, but the source told NBC10 Boston investigators that there is no longer a threat in Maine as Card has been located and is deceased. And that is literally just popped up All right. like t five minutes ago. I just wanted to say, you know, because... We, we talk a lot about this deep history with the Middle East and U.S. involvement, mm -hmm. and it kind of feels like... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, a lot of the conversations I've had, I'm always just like, someone will make a bunch of points about, well, there's, you know, Libby says these people hate us and then you're talking about these these operations and I'm just like, would we would we not benefit from not being involved? Like, is it better for us? Yes. We just totally not be involved. 100%. And so when I hear a lot of like moral arguments, well, like what well, they're doing this and they're doing this. And then, you know, the Israel-Palestine stuff specifically, I'm kind of like, my response is I'm America. I don't know why we're arguing of the morality of foreign nations that are in a generational conflict right. when we're, we should be helping Look, our people. The here. answer is the answer is because America is the world empire, Tim. And this is a huge contradiction, right? This is the new world. Our ancestors came here so they could mind their own business and yeah. be free. And yet, yeah. America came out on top at the end of the Second World War. The rest of the industrialized world was burnt to the ground. Yep. And so America had, what, half the GDP of the planet. And then they took full advantage and they created a world empire. They justified it in the name of containing the Soviet Union. And then when the Soviet Union ceased to exist 30 years ago, what'd they do? Quit and go get a real job? No. <laughs> they went and they expanded to the Middle East. They expanded into Eastern Europe. And they picked a fight with Al-Qaeda and they it, picked a fight with Russia. And you know, now here we are. Let me, let Same me. as they expanded, by the way. You guys are such China hawks on here. But who started the China pivot? That was Barack Hussein Obama and Hillary Clinton who said, now's time to pick a fight with China. That let, was their policy. I just want to, you know, my, my view, and it's probably naive, it's probably ignorant, whatever. But my view is, 
a tremendous opportunity of the fall of the Soviet Union for trade agreements and not war. Right. To, right. to, to say, hey, we're, you know, you look at what's going on in Eastern Europe and we keep hearing from the establishment press and from the neocon neolib uniparty that it's an unprovoked invasion of Ukraine and Russia. Right. Oh, come on. NATO expansion. That's the, my the, book is called Provoked. It's, it's about how they provoked it. But man, at the very sure. least, if you want to make the argument that, uh, you know, I was in Ukraine at the start of the protests, which which eventually turned into the ousting of Yanukovych. And in the city, I talked to many random people. Mm -hmm. and what did I find? They were very pro-EU. Pro and the, when I talked to them, they say that what I, what I was generally told by a lot of Ukrainians was, you know, Russia wants to re create this, uh, federal, this, this trade union. They want Ukraine to be a part of it. Ukraine, many Ukrainians don't trust Russia, obviously, because Soviet Union wasn't even that long ago. So a lot of the older folks are really concerned. And entering the EU is a major economic lift up and the Schengen zone. A lot of people want to move. And so that's where, where we're going. That is, that is all geopolitical dispute and conflict, which results in escalated conflict. The idea that there's no provocation, uh, uh, what the media keeps saying, is just absurd. As, as long as our military alliances are expanding in a region, there is cause for conflict. Right. You're absolutely right. And look, this isn't just hindsight, okay? This is what all the paleoconservatives said 30 years ago. Pat Buchanan and, you know, Scott McConnell and all the guys who were like the refugees from the George H.W. Bush Republican Party at that time. Ron Paul ran for president in 1988, saying we need to completely back out of the old world altogether. And was absolutely right. And, and you know, what happened? H.W. Bush took full advantage. He lied to the Russians. He knew the plan was to expand yep. NATO. And they lied to the Russians and made them believe that they wouldn't expand NATO just to get them out of the way. You know what I love? You're obviously familiar. They with lied us into Iraq War One as well. You're, you're obviously familiar with the liberal economic order. Sure. So, you know, Ian brings that up quite a bit. And we've pulled up the Council on Foreign Relations website mm -hmm. outlining the liberal economic order and plainly stating is that after World War II, the fears of expanded uh, war and nuclear annihilation led to this idea of the liberal economic order, which is a soft way of saying American empire, military bases mm -hmm. everywhere, the American world police. Mm -hmm. And it's it's an impossibility. Uh, uh, naturally, what you're doing is creating something that becomes the massive target. You, the, the U.S. never had the capability of suppressing the rise of any other economic power, though they try. Right. It doesn't happen. And now we're staring at the fourth turning World War Three, whatever you want to call it. And it's what, what my favorite part is you get to the point where you get H.W. Bush saying, what, what was his quote? We, we can begin to see a new world order. Mm -hmm. Now, you get a bunch of people complaining about the idea of the new world order, which literally is a reference to an expansion upon the CFR, the liberal economic order into a new version of it, which is mm. American world police, et cetera. The media runs out full speed screaming the conspiracy theory of the new world order. And what I think happens is a lot of people fall victim to this. There's a legitimate concern over over powerful interests internationally, corporate interests and their and their uh, their um, vassals in government to create and maintain the liberal economic order and their new version of it. What happens then is the media, because these people are easily, they're stupid and they're evil for a lot, not, not every single one, but a lot of them, they will take the legitimate story of the liberal economic order, pull the most absurd claims off the internet, create this psychotic conspiracy theory, and then say anybody who's saying this believes the crazy conspiracy theory yeah. to try and discredit the idea 
that there are people who are actually calmly and rationally saying, you know, the thing you've been doing for a long time about trying to set up military bases everywhere to be a world police. I think it's a bad idea that's going to get us all killed. They say what he actually believes that lizard people have set up yeah. a base in the Denver airport and he's insane. Don't listen to him. Right. Look, uh, you're right. Uh, and look, the, the New World Order, when H.W. Bush said it, what he meant was the era of the American empire and no yep. one can oppose us now. As he put it, what we say goes. And when they say now, they call it the liberal rules-based international order. That's, again, <laughs> it's the American empire. And But the conspiracy theory is the opposite, actually. The conspiracy theory is that ultimately they're going to create a one-world federal government under the UN that will then conquer the United States and we'll have Chinese troops everywhere and it'll be like Red Dawn and we'll all be <laughs> enslaved. And this is the thing which it's good for getting right-wingers interested in foreign policy and how dangerous all this stuff can be <laughs> because... Look, ultimately, you know, the John Birchers were the big pushers of the New World Order conspiracy. And <clears throat> the lesson that they were preaching basically was the only way to destroy America is to turn it into an overextended empire. Now, from their point of view, it was all deliberate. It was all treason to bring us down. But forget that. Just stick to the point. The only way to bring down America is to turn it into an overextended world empire. I mean, yeah. you could carpet bomb us with H-bombs, but then there's nothing to take over. The Otherwise, Roman empire. the only way to do it is to drive our national debt up till the dollar breaks. The Roman Empire. Right? Which is what we're doing right now. So it doesn't have to be a conspiracy. It's bad policy. It's but suicide. It, 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 we, we, a lot of people like to talk about the Roman Empire and what caused it to be ripped apart. And there are similarities there. I, history doesn't rhyme. It repeat, uh, doesn't repeat. It rhymes. And so a lot of people are drawing parallels to all these other historic events. Mm -hmm. And some people be like, no, 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 it's not like this one. It's like this one. It's not the Roman Empire. It's more like, you know, the Bolsheviks in Russia. And I'm like, guys, it's a little bit of all of them. Sure. And that's a big problem. Yeah, it's us. Yeah. Hey, look, so let's get back to talking about the Palestinians here for a second. Because, you know, people use Hamas and Palestinians interchangeably here. Like all these people are guilty of the things that Hamas did. But I mean, Tim, the reason I'm here right now is because I'm still not over Waco. Okay. Oh, dude, I went there. So, I went there last year. So my dad's from there. But but like if according to the logic of the people who want to bomb Gaza right now, I'm responsible for Waco because somehow I didn't prevent Bill Clinton from becoming president, and now it's okay to kill me and my family because of the things that Bill Clinton did. That was the logic that Osama bin Laden invoked in his letter to America in 2002. He said, you pay your taxes, you vote in elections, and boy, especially you Americans, always bragging and boasting about how self-governed yeah, yeah. you are. There, there's so, more nuance than so that. So then he said he had the right to kill us, which right, right. was, in fact, he was parroting Bill Clinton and Madeleine Albright, there's, who said that they had the right to kill innocent Iraqis in order to force them to rise up and overthrow Saddam Hussein. It's the same sick morality. We think the price is worth it, as Madeleine Albright said, to kill innocent people to do what we want, to get what we want. I suppose the, uh, the big question then becomes, what do we do? Well, like that, that's why I brought up the maybe well, we, we, should... we as Americans, yeah. we sh first and foremost, the United States should adopt an absolutely non-interventionist foreign policy. 100%. 100%. And that means telling the Israelis, you guys are on your own. And this goes back to a point that you raised, I think, before we went yeah. on the air. What happens I, to Israel without the Israel United States? Israel would be fine without the United States. Israel would be better off without the United States. As you guys have noticed, everything America touches turns to fire. <laughs> and I just didn't you say a bad Israel word. Be, I almost did. Did, did you just would say be better off. Israel, yes. no, Israel would be better off without the U.S.? Yes. 
because, look, they're plenty well enough armed to take on any neighboring nation state, which they're friends with Jordan and friends with Egypt. They bomb Syria with impunity once or twice a month for a decade straight now. Hezbollah has enough of a force probably to keep them out. I mean, not in a full-scale war. In a full-scale war, Israel completely destroy them. But Hezbollah has no real offensive force that threatens Israel. So they're perfectly safe, right? Hezbollah has, I thought Hezbollah who's, like, yeah, who's, like rockets. Who's perfectly like, safe? Israel is perfectly per- safe. From, from foreign nation states, I'm saying now. Is, well, that was the question, right? Right. So I'm just trying to clarify. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... But by having America there, it's like being a banker on Wall Street and knowing that Alan Greenspan is going to bail you out, right? It's called a moral hazard in economics. They called it the Greenspan put, right? And what happens is if if you're a banker and you know that the Fed is going to bail you out, then you can make all kinds of lousy loans and it doesn't matter because you're going to be made whole. It's the same for like a bratty little kid in the neighborhood who likes to be a bully and pick fights because he knows he has an older brother that's going to bail him out if he gets into a fight with somebody that he can't handle. Jackson Hinkley. Right? And so this is the same kind of situation with Israel. If America did not... Well, look at just the current situation. If Joe Biden didn't sail aircraft carriers right in there and tell Hezbollah, you better not think about it, and tell the government in Iraq, you better keep your militias under control and all that... Israel would already have to scale back their ambition here, right? So By showing Israel up, is perfectly safe, or Israel would have to I'm scale s- back there. What do you mean? Yes, I'm. I'm saying that the more violence that Israel commits, and over the decades, the more they refuse to deal in good faith with the people in the Gaza Strip and the West Bank, the Palestinian people, the worse situation that they're in. The fact, Libby, that we're having this conversation in 2023 means that Netanyahu's policy is a terrible failure. A hundred percent. No different than if it had been Bill Clinton's third term on September 11th. What should Israel do right now? And what should should they have done on October 8th? Well, on October 8th, I think they were still chasing the the, uh, terrorists back into Gaza. But look, right now, they have the place completely surrounded. Okay? They've called up 300,000 reserves. This is essential. I have an Israeli friend, again, an army veteran who fought in the 2006 war. He says, this is like Waco right now. They're completely surrounded. Who is? The Gaza? Gaza. They're completely under siege. And yes, Hamas is bad. And yes, Koresh is bad. But there's also a bunch of innocent people in there. And so just wait them out. You got all the time in the world. There's no reason that you have to go in there like this. And you know, Daryl Cooper, are you are you guys familiar with Martyr Made, the podcast oh, yeah, Martyr yeah, Made? Yeah, of course. This is my good friend Daryl Cooper. He's so smart about this. We've had him on, I'm pretty and sure. He, he talked about yeah. how for decades, for yeah. decades, good. the way that the Israelis dealt with terrorism in the territories, where they go in there and pick them off one at a time. You don't have to do a big war like this. How do they kill Sheikh Yassin? found him in his car and dropped one bomb on him. I'm not saying that was okay, but I'm saying all other things being equal, the Israelis can pick off the leadership of Hamas. I mean, Mossad, one at a time, no problem. Because again, this is not some foreign nation. This is an Indian reservation. It's under but, but, their but control. This is, this is where I always come back to. It's like, I, I see you guys, we're, we're having an argument over a foreign nation's capabilities of defense. And I'm just like, you want to talk about America? Yeah, I'm just look, curious what what he was. What no, he I know, I know, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm not. Time. I'm not casting shade. I'm saying, I think a lot of this debate that ends up in politics reverts back to the normative position of we we as the United States are concerned and involved in foreign wars, 
And I'm kind of like, you want to talk about Burma, Myanmar? You like we right? I don't. Yeah, because yeah, we're not in on that one. Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, let's exactly. let's not be in on any of them. That's right. Look, I look. I totally Myanmar agree with that. Myanmar is so closed. It's hard to get any information out of. It's out horrible. Of Myanmar. Since 1948, hundreds of thousands of yeah. people have died in the region. Twelve thousand this year, and talk about no, ethnic cleansing. No, they like I, nobody cares. So there's one. There's one thing that I want to because we're not involved in it. About right. well, not only that. It's not. It's not just that. It's the it, Tim. This goes to a point that you make a lot. You you frequently say that the left doesn't have an ideology that that's coherent and. To some degree, I think you're right, but I really think that the left broadly is is just anti-West, right? They're anti-capitalist, they're anti-America, and any anything that's going on that is pushing back against Western society, which is why like the people that are pro-Palestine that are very anti-Israel, when they're, if they're if they're leftists, the reason is because Israel is a is a ostensibly a democracy in a Western style country. And so right. it falls in line with the pushback against the West and but the whole decolonization thing. I, I also think it's, okay, be, but it's because you want to destroy the United States from within. And so we have foreign influence through social media and algorithms. Sure. Yeah. And, and it, you mentioned they're all anti-West. I'm like, well, we're, we're being gutted from look, within. Purpose. We, guys, we started this show with a massive protest at what Grand Central Grand Station? Central. No, I should pull uh, yeah, of American Jews who are against this stuff. I'm not, I'm not saying every, I'm not saying I'm not saying everyone is Scott. I'm look, saying that the, the, to, uh, the people that are that are like look, an, the. I'll the, tell you. I'll tell you, Phil. Look, they're. I'm not pushing back against I what you said. No, 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 that's fine. I was just saying. I just want to shout out to uh, Elad Eliyahu, who's covering this right now. He's uh, We're texting right now. He's uh, uh, Elad is our uh, um, in-house Bolton bro, neoconservative, self-proclaimed. <laughs> true. He is. But he, he does a really great job asking questions. He doesn't attack people. He asks them honestly what they think and believe and lets them answer. That's cool. And, you know, he's down here covering it. We're, we're big fans that's of Elad's right. work. Yep. I mean, people ought to ask themselves, because look, these Jews, almost all American Jews are basically like center left liberals. They're not leftist, communist, revolutionary, hate America, whatever, this and that. They're liberal Democrats, almost all of them, right? Like 85, 90% or something like that. Um, they don't want to destroy Western civilization. The radicals are The reason they're college. sticking up, forget the college kids don't mean anything. We're, let's not spend another minute talking about college kids tonight. We're talking <laughs> about what actually matters in the world here, okay? And what's happening here is these Jews are sticking up for the Palestinians because they're being treated unfairly, right? If you go back to England versus Ireland, you'd see English stick up for the Irish. You didn't see the Irish take the English's side. Why not? Well, because Ireland wasn't occupying England. It was the English who were the occupying power and who were brutally oppressing innocent civilians. And so you'd have English from time to time saying, geez, guys, this isn't right. Why would you have millions of American Jews opposed to the system in Israel right now? Well, a bunch of the It's because it's wrong. Funded by the same. Well, funded same, nothing. Same yeah. groups that fund the SPLC well, and a bunch of other heavy lifters. Maybe. Group. Yeah, the JVA is maybe, funded but by you know what? What it really is is American. So what it is is American Jews are causes. American Jews are liberals, and they believe in civil rights. And the fact is, the Palestinians have no civil rights and no civil liberties whatsoever. They would be slaves, except the Israelis don't want them. They just want rid of them. Well, but, so, but they have no rights at all. And these people know that that is wrong, and they're upset I, about I, it. I, I they also had it. Shabbat with Rashida Tlaib after she said that. Um, she gets what a warm fuzzy feeling when she thinks about the Holocaust. Is that what she said? She said Is something she like said? that. She said something very similar. I can find it. 
Yeah. I, 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 I am not a fan. Uh, I'm a fan of the sentiment of we don't want civilian deaths. But I just keep coming back to the, you know, I, I would refer, I refer to it as Israel derangement syndrome. Because for some reason, this cause for a lot of people is paramount. Despite not being us, despite all the other conflicts in the world. But Tim, as you know, we're implicated in every bit of this. Our our government is implicated in every people bit of this. People do not get and as mad look, about Sudan. I wrote, I, wrote a, Sudan. I wrote a book about the Iranian Revolution, the Iran-Iraq War, the 80s Afghan War, Iraq War One, Iraq War One and I a Half, it. Iraq War II, why, Somalia, Libya, I, Syria, right? and Yemen. And, and there's some it. Palestine and in why, here. And I'm writing are, a book about Russia six, right now. And why are 16-year-olds chanting in the hallways of their school, Free Free Palestine? Do you think these these kids? Know. Who cares? I mean, oh, well, I whatever. think I think the media I, abolish government school. Then I already yeah, want right, that. Right. Yeah. This is my point. So, why? 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 Does it always like I, I'm gonna? Look, I'm, when I'm at the I was point a kid, where, we said kill them all, nuke Baghdad, whatever. My which point is, is worse. I'm I'm just continually at the point where I'm like, y'all can go protest for any country in the world you want. I don't care. They're not us. In Marjorie Taylor Greene's resolution that she brought before the House to have Rashida Tlaib censored censured she said talib said the holocaust gave her a calming feeling okay yeah, yeah, yeah. i want an original source yeah, on that no, I, no, I, 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 I watched i watched the video like she actually said that I, there's are you a video, serious i yeah. swear to god there's right. a video clip of it she said okay. it it was I've never she even heard of that she That's wasn't like ridiculous. it was it was it was in a, it was a broader context but the it overall was in 2019 point, yeah the the overall point Whatever. was she's like i have a cal- i had a calming feeling i never voted for a democrat yeah, in my life so i don't give a damn about that i did all this and then she said she stood behind her comments look let me tell you 2019 tell you guys something college, about flint, michigan college communists are bad on everything about flint michigan Co- college communists are bad communists college communists are bad on everything the squad is bad on everything but so what does that have to do with what we're really talking about here right like look why would it be that temple university is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the u.s through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty temple students are prepared to soar in their careers schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu slash visit. George H.W. Bush and James Baker, 30 years ago, thought it was so important to try to negotiate a Palestinian state. Why is it well, that 20 years ago, but Colin Powell But is that saying? Is that there should to, be a Palestinian state? Yes, yes, so I'm saying. maybe why, that's why they, maybe they have the same reasons as you for wanting right. to establish that's, it. That's what I'm saying. Right, that's so what they've I'm saying. been is trying that, for a very long time. Right, and but so this is what I'm saying is, People act like, but you I'm, have I'm, I'm paraphrasing, saying, I'm, I'm, I'm plagiarizing Martyr Maid here, okay? He says, people act like the Palestinians are this volcano. Like everything is fine and then every once in a while this volcano erupts and there's this violence. But the thing is, everything's not fine. The thing is, these people are under total occupation for longer than the Soviets occupied Eastern Europe. They have no rights whatsoever. That is why James Baker was willing to go to the mat to try to force a Palestinian state 30 years ago. That's why Colin Powell went to the mat and lost 20 years ago. Is because And what happened was the neoconservatives, which who are the neoconservatives? They're the vanguard of the Israel lobby is who they are. And they convinced Bush that the road to Damascus, the, the uh, road to Jerusalem runs through Baghdad. First, we do Iraq War II. Then we're in the position of strength to force the Palestinians to bow down to our wishes. How did that work out? 
Did you? Did you? I'm not gonna answer. We gotta go to super chats, but I want you to finish that thought. I don't know if you were done. No, we're go ahead. To, oh, we're, gonna go, we're gonna go to super chats. Pal lost. So smash that like button, subscribe to this sh uh, channel, share the show with your friends. Friday night, ladies and gentlemen, we're gonna read your super chats, which of course are. Oh, it's Israel Palestine. So contentious. I'm. I'm so excited. Okay. Clint Torres says, "Howdy, people." Tim, today you gave a master class in dealing with the delusional. I swear you deserve an honorary PhD in clinical psychology. This morning was an awesome conversation with Jenk Uger. And uh, for those that watched, you probably noticed there was one point of contention when I began discussing George Floyd and Ahmed Arbery. Jenk uh, got very heated about that one, did not want to, to hear any arguments or points that it was racist. And uh, I, I felt it's, we're, we're better off focusing on, on, on solutions and ideas and try to pull away from what I thought was devolving things into uh, a, an irrational WWE style drama fight. But uh, that was probably the only only point at which I felt like it got to that point. Um, I see a lot of people are saying that I'm very patient or whatever. And uh, it's a mix. There's, there's a lot of people who want me to just tell me he's wrong no matter what, every single step of the way, whenever I think he's wrong. But the purpose of a show like this is I'm interviewing the guy and asking him what he thinks so he can try and articulate it and I can get the best honest understanding. But more importantly, when Jenk comes out and starts saying that it's racist to to bring up the facts of the case in Ahmed Arbery, that's for you guys to watch. It's not to see me come out and say something like, let's, you know, it's, it's not for me to argue with him. Be like, no, how dare you say that? You know, you think you can come in here? That serves nobody. That's just people eating popcorn and laughing at a fight. I want you to hear what what Jenk's argument is and then you figure out if you agree or disagree. And I think often when it comes to a lot of these arguments, they'll say things that you'll find, hey, that's actually not a well well thought out thing to say, or maybe you agree with them. But that's the point is to to have them say it. There was a-, a That's a really smart point to make. Well, conservatives are trying to get this pro-Palestine event canceled at uh, in Texas. And I immediately tweeted like, no way. If you if you are concerned these people are pro-Hamas, whatever, let them speak. Right. And then take those videos and share them. Sure. Let them have their event. Right. Like with the drag queen stuff. What you mean with kids? No, not with kids. Right. But like when they do the they do the <laughs> like big that's, like, that's protests the line. or whatever. Yeah. All right, all right. But anyway, we'll read some more. Uh RJ McDougalheim says, damn, so close. Wrath says, maybe, maybe, maybe not. You guys were not first. Matthew Hammond says, can Lauren Southern do a documentary on COVID lockdowns and businesses that closed? Call it non-essential. Oh, that would be cool. One of the people she interviews should be the wife of the former guest, Gary uh, Bush, Buck, uh, Nerdrotic. I can't pronounce his best name. Buckler. Mm -hmm. um, what I will say is we did this documentary with Lauren Southern. We're really excited. But uh, Lauren is going to be working with Tenet. So I don't know uh, to what degree. What documentary did you do? With Lauren, we did one. It's called Infringed. It is a exploring. Yeah. Red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Lauren being Canadian. She takes a oh. look at uh, gun control. Uh, she has this like adventure looking at gun control. It's awesome. It's coming out uh, November 7th. Great. So we're super excited for it. It was supposed to come out 4th of July. And then there was legal stuff. Can we it get is, a can we get a screener yes. so we can write about it in advance? And Absolutely. We'll drop it when, you're, yes. when you put it out. And awesome. uh, it's I'm told it's exciting and fun. And Lauren has a lot of guns. That's and we, great. we like guns. So That's yeah. awesome. But yeah, that's coming up soon. And then I'm also just really excited. I don't know if you guys saw the the, the trailer that was released by Tenet Media. It's a it's a we're, we're doing a super group. All right. So uh, Benny Johnson, Dave Rubin, me, uh, uh, Taylor Hansen. It's Taylor, right? I always get his name wrong. Yeah. Uh, yes. Lauren Southern. I think this is uh, uh, Matt Christensen. I'm super excited about Matt Christensen. Shout out to Matt Christensen. He's amazing. Love his work. Um, but we're basically, you know, we're putting together a super group. So it's a bunch of various projects that are coming together, and I think it's it's wildly beneficial. But I don't want to say too much because, you know, I, I there's other people involved too, but the Culture War show will be moving uh, there. There's a lot more going on, but uh, super excited for this. Matt Christian's great. I didn't know that he was on, involved in Tenet. He's great. I really yeah, like his, I know. his streams. That's yeah. awesome. You know, that, that was like 
you know, when this 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 super group is coming together and I'm like, yeah, yeah. And they're like, Matt's involved. I was like, oh, really? I was like, OK, well, you know, now let's send me, send me, let me know what's going on. And then I talked to everybody who was involved. And I think it's 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 really, really smart. It's one of the smartest moves in new media, in my opinion. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to I don't want to get into too much detail until they do their formal launch and everything. They put the trailer out. But there's a lot I could elaborate on why I think it is really, really smart. There are people saying things like, Tim, you're supposed to be independent. What are you doing? It's like, yes, yes. Timcast is an entirely separate company. We did a, a deal with them so that we could we could it's it's a multi front uh, battle in the culture mm -hmm. war. But I, I really do think there's a, there's a lot more to be said. And, and I'll save it for when they do all their big announcements and they want to you know, I don't want to step anyone's toes, but it's going to be it's going to be epic. So it's really, really cool stuff. I think it's going to amplify the, the 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 reach of many people involved. It's going. It's a tremendous move, I think, in winning the culture war. Uh, we've all we all talked with a lot of people about the strategy and stuff. I'm really excited for this. So, uh, let's read some more. Shane H. Wilder says, "Great job with the culture war. I'm glad it was a civil discussion, even if I still disagree with Jenk. Regardless, these conversations need to be had. Keep it up." I think the most important thing that came out of that was the question over uh, who has a right to be president. And I know a lot of conservatives will have the, the more immediate response of you have to be born in this country or born to American uh, parents. And my point was Chinese Communist uh, Party members having a surrogate in California give birth to their son, who is now a natural born citizen, who within an hour of being born is flown back to China, who is raised in China. And then a loyal CCP member comes to the United States and wants to be president. That doesn't make sense. So the line isn't just if you were born here, because there's issues that we have to deal with right now with people coming here just to, you know, having their kids just to be born here so they get these rights and access. If So the question is, what should the test and restriction be if we're going to have one? Jenk made interesting points. I don't completely agree. He argued the 14th Amendment has already determined you can be president even if you weren't born here. I'll, well, I, I don't think the Supreme Court sides with them, but he's saying he's going to win and all that stuff. He has to say that, you know, to be fair, he's making the he's making the argument, but. You know, my, my point was, who would you rather have uh, as president, someone who is a, a Chinese Communist Party member and official who was born in California, spent three days here and then was raised in China or Dinesh D'Souza? Well, I'd rather have Dinesh. But he wasn't born here, so he can't right. be president. Sorry, you get the CCP member. But he's very smart. But I don't right. know why anyone would vote for the CCP. I don't know why those are the only options. Like, it's, it's not. We, I never could figure out why in a country right. of 300 million people we got to settle for the scum that runs for office <laughs> because, in this Because in a country that it's has so, so much bad. opportunity, like America, people that are skilled and, and they find can something do else to do. go do yeah. actually good things. Why aren't you running? Ah, oh, come on. Uh, you know what I am? Uh, is he, I'm uh, a, come on. I'm a great advisor to Libertarian Party presidential candidates. That's what I am. And you know what? I screwed up. I forgot to say during the main part of the show. I got an article on antiwar.com today. The Spotlight article. It's full of quotes. In fact, if anyone's collecting these quotes, it's your ultimate resource for quotes of Benjamin Netanyahu and his men explaining why they like Hamas ruling what? the Gaza Strip so they don't have to deal in good faith with the Palestinians also, on the West right. Bank. And I got a a list of quotes this long. It's a spotlight so on antiwar.com right now. I, 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 here's, a, here's an important question. Um, and, and with respect, because we're huge fans of Dave Smith. Why isn't Dave Smith running for the for, for president? I have no comment on that. He's Because he's got a wife and kid. That His kid had, like, had, uh, I don't know for sure. That, like, it's not like I know. Well, that's it. I talk to him, but he's got a kid. Right. His kid had a, has a heart I get condition. It. I get it. I get it. So. I, I mean, no disrespect when I ask. My point is running for president is very, very, very hard. You have to have something deeply wrong with you. 
Dave Smith would have to be like, my family's not important to decide to run for president. Oh, I don't think that's true. I mean, especially as a libertarian, you could do a half-assed job and still be, <laughs> you know. The, All right, Dave, where are you at? <laughs> the, the problem that we've had in the Libertarian Party for a very long time, since Harry Brown, is we've ended up, we've essentially, well, Badnarik was, I don't know. We, we have presidential candidates who don't understand the philosophy and don't know how to talk about it and don't know, you know, we have Bob Barr and Aleppo? Gary Johnson. and That's right. You know, Ooh. I'll tell you a story. Where, where were you to whisper in his ear? I'll <laughs> tell you where I was. I wrote Gary Johnson a memo this long about Syria the night before that happened. No. Are you kidding me? I swear no. to God. And, and Which was all about what? It was all about <laughs> Gary. Barack Obama is backing Al-Qaeda in Syria right now, bro. Like, I was hitting him with some good stuff. You're and only then, making me hate him more. And I swear, <laughs> this is what he answered me. He answered me back. Oh, libertarian. Thanks. <laughs> and, right not but, like wait a minute can i call you and ask you some follow-up questions because this is damn crazy you, Gary right? Johnson. <laughs> but, but wait wait listen listen the, the funny thing about the aleppo moment is do you know what trump would have said oh no look aleppo is interesting i know a lot of people are talking about it but i'm focused on jobs right, Americans. Yeah. he would have pretended to know exactly yeah, yeah. and that the more important thing is jobs yeah. and then well you he's know. right the more important thing is jobs yeah. and what's so sure. funny is so. what's so funny about that too is that if he had known what he was talking about, if he cared at all to know about the Syria war, he could have had such a great fight with them. Because you want to talk about yeah. Aleppo? I'll tell you about Aleppo. That's where Barack Obama backs the suicide bomber, head chopper murderers of Al-Qaeda, and where the secular dictator with the clean-shaven chin in the three-piece suit who protects the rights of Christians and Shiites and other minorities in the country is trying to save that city from America's mercenary terrorist forces. And so what were they for saying? What, yeah, exactly. And what were they saying at the time? They were saying that Assad is committing genocide. Assad is attempting to murder every last man, woman, and child in his own country. And luckily, Al-Qaeda is there. The moderate rebels are trying to stand up <laughs> to him and prevent him from accomplishing this. But then what happened? Just after that, within a couple of months after that, not even, a few weeks after that, the Assad government finished retaking that town. The jihadists all got on buses to the Idlib province. And then what happened? They had Christmas. And all the Christians came back. Wow. And all the civilian population of Aleppo came back. The city was saved by Bashar al-Assad from the real genocidal murderer, Barack Hussein Obama. All right, we're, we're, and Benjamin we'll Netanyahu. Sparky Wire says, Tim's unhinged financial advice. Sleep in the park with $5,000 in your backpack. You got to risk it for the biscuit. Sorry, if you're not willing to do uh, uh, to take those risks, you don't win. That's just the way it's going to be. You got to you got to bet big to win big. Now, look, I'll, I'll in all honesty, in all seriousness, I wouldn't recommend anybody do what I do in terms of uh, risk. And, and, and you know, I, I got to. Uh, you take uh, a lot of wacky risks and you do a lot of wacky things. It's all, oh, I love it's doing all, wacky things. I love it. that mini mega you awesome. were going to build here, man. Oh man. Uh, I would love to see a map like. It, I, I don't want to. I don't want to besmirch the good name of of. Uh, uh, of friends of mine, but I'll tell you afterwards, it's more of a private thing. It's, it's kind of just like, you know, uh, business stuff. So we're, but, uh, 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 we're, we're, it's coming. It's just, it's it going to be somewhere right? else. Okay. Yeah. So I got to tell you, I want to try it, but also I'm so terrified. Oh, we got, we have, <laughs> we have a big project with the new skate park stuff that we're doing and we're really, really excited. So, uh, I don't know if you've been posting yet. It's called the boonies. It's the skate show and project we're doing. We're producing a lot of content. But right. uh, my, my, my real point. Name. 
I like it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Scott, next time you come, no matter what you think, bring the skateboard. I'm bringing my board next time. Uh, we had a last, great session last hey, time. After the show, it's it's like midnight. I am dead tired. And he's like, you have to skate. I did a kickflip pivot on the mini ramp. Hey. He did nice. do a kickflip pivot on the mini ramp. That's, nice. I'm like, that's not bad. You he's, know? Got, like, he's got a mean hard flip. Well, he showed us this video earlier, but I seen with my own eyeballs a mean hard flip. And what do you call that? Hang 10 hard flip? Yeah, hang 10 hard flip. I love that. That's almost awesome. hang 10 hard flip, light flip. I've done them. But uh, I landed an Ollie Blunt, and I still remember telling myself, do not bail. These boys are looking at you. Feet on grip tape, Horton. So uh, as, as for the sleeping in a park with a ton of money, what I will say is, to varying degrees, you must determine the amount of risk you are willing to take, and I would not recommend anyone take any risk. If someone comes to me and says, I want to go report from Turkey and Istanbul during mass protests, I would say, don't ask me because I'll tell you not to do it. Why? I will not be responsible for the risks you decide to take because I'm not you. That being said, I take a whole lot of crazy risks and boy, do they pay off. So, uh, it's, Weren't you there for the Kyrgyzstan coup in 05 or something like that? What? I'm not that old. <laughs> I was in uh, the Gezi Park protests, but I know to get out of war. Like, okay. I, And I have no problem saying this. I, there, I have no illusions of grandeur. When, when civil unrest results in war, I'm I'm gone three hours before that happens. Sure. And I'm like, you need military veterans to be reporting from these locations. You need people with actual war experience because it's, it's about two things. I got no problem risking my own life, but I cannot be responsible for someone else's. And I've been in some serious conflict stuff where they have strapped people to my ankles and I'm like, I have to keep this person alive now. I am not the person for that job. I am not a medic. I am not a first responder. I'm not a soldier. I, I would not be able to handle that. I have no problem running and jumping over walls and breathing in tear gas and bullets are flying and I'm hitting the deck. But the moment you put someone with me who doesn't have any capabilities and I know if I abandon them that I, I was in Venezuela, they, they're, they're National Guard, they're shooting at people. Crowd, uh, so they, they had been shooting people in, in the past. So when these protests happened, they weren't shooting where I was, I don't believe. When something snapped between the National Guard and the students, everyone runs. I yell to my crew, move now, run. And I run and I look back and they're just standing there staring at the National Guard with rifles and their mark. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. Like they're, gonna, they're, they're going there. to die. And so I was just, I lost it. I said, guys, we're leaving. I will not be here to pick up your remains. Like people are being shot and killed in this place. We, it, it wasn't a war zone. It was civil unrest with live ammo. Those, yeah. the, that's, that's my limit. And I'm like, I couldn't imagine being in an, an act, actually in Syria or Afghanistan or anything like that. I could not handle that. And so that for me was like, if you, if you can't do this, if you're not trained, I'm sorry. I am not skilled enough to be able to, 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 to be a fixer for yeah. you guys. And I, and, I, and, I, and I think about, there are a lot of journalists I know who are dumb as a box of rocks and they'll get some like, you know, Iraq war veteran to be their security head. And I'm like, what a job. Yeah, that's I'm sucks. like, yikes, man. I wouldn't put anyone in that position. Yeah. I'm For like, myself, when, when, my, when, my own dumb journalist self, I would when When the security guys, when I would be, they, they would make us do these security things like uh, coordination and, and prep. I'd, uh, I'll give you a better story. I was in Brazil interviewing uh, the Bopi. I think it was the Bopi. It could have been the, the, the Carre or whatever it's called. SWAT cops. They had this mock favela. And they're, they're explaining how they go in to deal with the, the gang members and the cartels and all that stuff. It was like their own cop city? It's, it's, no, it's not a cop city. It's a fake favela. It's a training center that's designed to be like a favela. And we're on the top of a building. And, I, I, and he's explaining, like, you know, it's very narrow corridors. And I said, what do you do now? You're up here. The guy jumps. 
and he goes, he smiles and he just, he, he, he grabs the wall and he jumps down. And then I jump down right after him and he's like, yeah. And he gives me a, he gives me a high five. Like I just jumped off a building with this guy. So he's like, I've, I've had meetings with security guards and I'm like, I've been skateboarding for 20 years and they're like, okay, good. So when, when I tell you, you move, you'll be quick. I get it. And then you have the other journalists who are morbidly obese and don't know what gunshots sound like and have, and they're like, all right. Like, <laughs> yeah. But we got, we, we got to read some more. We got to read some more. But my, my, my point ultimately there is if someone comes to me and says, Tim, I'd like to report for you in the Middle East, I'd say, nope, because I can't be responsible for you. Uh, a lot of news organizations will not allow you. They will not hire you. It won't happen. This is why they do hire military veterans. So if you're like, ah, oh, Tim said, sit in the park with five grand. I'm like, oh, bro, I'll, I've done crazier things than that. I mean, come on. I'm like, I'm driving into active riots and 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 people shooting at each other. That's well, way crazier than carrying a bunch of money in your pocket. Uh, but you got to figure out the amount of risk you're willing to take to get the biscuit. You got to risk it for the biscuit. Is that, skate, is that a skateboarding thing? Or is it, I don't know. People say it in skateboarding. I never you heard know? that phrase until right now. Risk yeah. it for the biscuit? But I yeah. like it. It yeah, does so rhyme. Yeah, so I think we just had some skaters here. Dude did a kickflip, blunt kickflip. It's like, you got to risk Sweet. it for the biscuit. I know. I, I'll show you the video. Well, I don't, I'll tell I, you this. There's a vert ramp going up um, somewhere in Texas <clears throat> that's going to be 12 feet with extensions with pool coping. It's going to be 150 feet wide, half a football Whoa. field wide. So yeah, uh, vert ramp going in. We got to read my my legs and my elbows for that one. <laughs> we got to read more super chats. We got to read more super chats. Logan Culver says, Scott, do you have a photographic memory? Your ability to pull up all this info is amazing. Uh, yes, I do have a photographic memory. I can. Um, my real advantage, one of my real advantages, you know, when I was a boy, uh, third grade, uh, my hero was Encyclopedia Brown, and <laughs> his he the the uh, crime solver, and his thing is he remembers everything he reads, and that's that's really my talent, and I um I can I kind of picture the I can I can remember the colors and the shape of the website really helps me remember where I read what and when and that kind of thing. Is this Dom says General Clark wanted to attack Russian military in Kosovo? James Blunt and yep. his CEO refused Clark's orders to attack a Russian-controlled airport. Yeah, so this is what I was mentioning earlier about Clark, the World War III there. Yeah. Clark would have started World War III in the 90s. He's a warmonger. That's right. So so when he says James Blunt, this is the singer, um, who I'm not familiar with his songs, but I think he's like a real famous guy, right? Wait, the singer? A, an English was, singer. Yes, James Blunt. He was really? a colonel. Yes. Is that yes. the you're beautiful guy? It gets better. Yes, yes. That's it, the guy. It, yeah? That's the guy. Okay, and <laughs> no then it gets way. better. It gets better. Wesley Clark ordered... James Blunt to take his men and seize the Pristina airport um, after the Russians took it. And the Russians weren't supposed to take it, but they went in there and they got the Pristina airport. Clark ordered Blunt to take the airport. And then guess who intervened and stopped him? General Michael Jackson. <laughs> of, of the British Army. What? Told, You're lying. I swear, it, swear it, to God. We live in General, a simulation. General Michael Jackson said, belay that order, Blunt. And told just told General Clark, I'm not going to start World War III for you. Then he moonwalked across the battlefield. <laughs> exactly. Right. And then, by the way, so Clark also was in charge of Fort Hood during Waco. It's and, not Fort Hood anymore, isn't oh, it? Like whatever they Fort name it now. Native right. American Fort, special Fort man. PC. But he was the boss during Waco, and General Shoemaker who was the commander of Delta Force. It's really General Shoemaker who murdered those people, but he was working for Clark at the time. And so those men's responsibility for that is still to come due. 
Legama says, Tim, I'd like to see this man debate historian Benny Morris about the 1948 ha! war. Oh, boy, wouldn't that I be I would fun? love to see his ignorance humbled. Oh, that would be hilarious. All <laughs> I would do is read Benny Morris to Benny Morris. Are you kidding me? <laughs> this guy this guy ought to read what Benny Morris has written, the truth. Benny Morris is, I'll have you know. So we should do a culture war episode. Here, here's two things to know about Benny Morris. He has done more. <laughs> he has done more to tell the truth about what happened during the Nakba to the poor people of Palestine than probably anyone else. He's a revisionist historian in Israel. And then he also is a total hawk who says that they should have finished the job and cleansed them all, all the way out of there. So he's a total hawk, but he's an honest guy. And he has done probably more for establishing the real truth of what happened in the Nakba than any other Israeli historian. I would love to debate Benny Morris, Tim. You you make that happen for me, buddy. <laughs> And I'll skate. I'll bring my skateboard that day. Well, we sure. should do. We should definitely do a culture war where uh, we can we can find somebody who would like to have a, a debate with you uh, on all this stuff. If you'd be interested, I'm happy to do That'd it. That'd be great. Yeah. I'm happy to do. Uh, it. I know a lot of people were hoping that I could debate uh, Ben Shapiro here, but I don't think he'll show here? up here. Sure. Well, here's the issue. Uh, ben Shapiro runs a company and hosts his own show. So the idea that it's like He'd go on a neutral thing. No, it's not about being neutral. It's you know I, I say this about Hassan and and Jen Kuger. I'm like guys, guys. If someone's got a full-time job where they're running a company and hosting a show, yeah. the idea, like if someone said, Tim Pool, why won't you fly to LA and debate a guy? I'll be like, well, I'm running a company. We've got like 40 employees. I got to host my show. You know what? I, no took a, I took a week off of writing my book to read nothing but Israel stuff and prepare for this show to come out here and try to do my best for you guys. Um, and, and I have a lot of jobs. No, I get it. I get it. <laughs> you know, but, but, but I think it's worth it. And by the way, Shapiro, Shapiro I challenge you, dude. I saw you say on Joe Rogan that you're willing <laughs> to debate this issue, but I think you're a coward and I don't think you are man enough. Well, I got to tell you, I don't I don't think that is conducive to actually having the conversation with him. Well, so, you know what? Gene Epstein already invited him to debate me for money at the Soho Forum in New York and is he it, wouldn't do it. And so what ended up happening Soho. was I, I instead debated Bill Crystal and Which drove awesome. him into the ground. Have you ever seen that? It no. was oh, awesome. Oh, like it. I debated Bill Crystal we, and smashed him because Ben Shapiro wasn't man enough to show up. Well, we we have to make sure it is the steel manist of steel manist uh, debates. Sure. So we don't want to get any half-assed, you know. Agree. Not know. for Bill Crystal. Bill Crystal's garbage. He's wrong about everything. <laughs> everything. And, and look, I didn't straw man Bill Crystal either. I don't yeah. do straw man, dude. No, I, don't I, wanna, I mean, I don't want to win a rigged game. There ain't no right. honor in that. We want we want to put the heavyweights against the heavyweights. The only problem saying? is with debating Ben Shapiro is I'm not sure if I could stop myself from laughing the whole time he's talking see, just from the sound of his voice. You're not going to get a debate by. <laughs> why is it, why, what, no, but but. No, serious. Why would he debate you if you're just insulting him? Okay, you know what? He wouldn't already. We already <laughs> tried this, and I told I was actually very polite at the time and said, "Hey, seriously, man, I I'd like to discuss this with you. We could do a whole thing and try to be very adult about it." Well, well, and well, he well, refused to respond yeah, in any way to Gene Epstein's offer we, to have we, us debate at Soho. Jenk Uger so. has said some really awful things about me. He's yelled at me in person, and I still like say like. I don't insult him. Uh, I I try to agree with him when I can. Yeah, sure. And he eventually said, you know what? I'll come on Tim's show. And we'll he talk. came well, on Tim, because he's running for president. Tim, you know but, that. But, but Tim, you know that Ben Shapiro I mean, will only debate run. college girls we who can. are confused about their gender identity or some crap. He'll make fun of some little kid. He's not. He have you ever seen him debate a grown man about an actual subject of import well, of any kind? He'll I, I go to say, college. I don't watch Ben's content. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah, but but. You know, I see him in the right-hand margin on YouTube for some reason every single day, no matter what. And it's always 
Ben Shapiro destroys 19-year-old girl who doesn't know the difference between a girl and a boy. Okay, well, that's, you know, really impressive, well, I, mean, I guess. Look, that's what, there's a there's a Supreme Court justice that doesn't know the difference between a girl and fair, a boy. So. Fair, fair <laughs> point. Fair point. But, you know no, but, but, but well, in all seriousness, let's, let, why don't we find someone who's like, sure, <clears throat> like very, like top tier. I'm happy to do it. Best I'm happy the best. to do it. Yeah. And look, I think this is something that you guys deal with a lot when you're dealing with the left is all these ridiculous accusations <clears throat> of racism. You guys were talking about some of this a little bit earlier in the show oh, yeah. today. But it's the same thing on the right with the claims about anti-Semitism. I bet you could probably testify to this more than any other person or oh, just look, as look. well as me. Any person involved with online alternative media can tell you that anyone who's actually an anti-Semite We'll tell you that they are, and oh, we'll try yeah. to convince you to also be. And so when, when you hear right-wingers <clears throat> throwing around Jew-hater and anti-Semite when we're talking about Israel-Palestine, that ought to sound as ridiculous in your ear as when everybody calls you a racist just because you disagree about the minimum wage or whatever it is that they're stupid on, you know? All right, we'll read some more. Missy Kin says, Tim, how did you not want to punch Chank during the Culture War interview today for saying you attract right-wingers because you look at the nuance in each of the high high profile police killings. I don't, I don't want to hit I I I don't want to hit anyone ever. Sometimes in self-defense you have to. The I think the most I've ever gotten is saying that I wanted to punch my my monitor screen or something. But you know, I like it's it's about tech, but no 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 no, listen, listen. People need to understand this. Jenk performed as I hoped he would. We the first and foremost, the most important thing, we agree on a lot. I'm like if we can be I said if What were you all mostly talking about? Uh, foreign war, I think. Well, I don't know. It's two and a half, two hours and 40 minutes. Probably, probably a bunch of things. But what stood out to me is I said, if we can win where we agree, we should focus on those things. Yeah. Max Blumenthal, Blumenthal said that. And I said, if Mitt Romney was running against with Joe Biden, I'd vote Jen Uger. Why? At least we get Julian Assange pardoned. All right. And, and I can, I, I can bet he's not going to start foreign wars. Now, all the other stuff I think is probably going to be awful, but if, and I say Romney, not that he's running, but because he's the example of that garbage Republican and, and, and Joe Biden is the garbage Democrat. Mm -hmm. They're going to screw me over every way and have war. So, like, if, if the best I can get <clears throat> is is Jenk, who is is for gun control and a bunch of woke policy and stuff, you know, that's what I wanted to focus on. But but understand when I be, when I began talking about uh, George Floyd and then he lost it. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm asking you, what is, what is the answer to, there is a man behind the wheel of an SUV chewing on a speedball, methamphetamine and fentanyl. Should the police not intervene? He says they shouldn't. I'm like, okay. And when the police do and the man resists, what should they do? And he's like, I can't believe you're defending. And I said, okay, well then he's like the most high profile case. I said, let's talk about Ahmed Arbery. I said, and he goes, oh, you mean when the two racist guys killed that jogger? And I'm like, okay, right here is the point. If you don't know the facts of the case. And he's like, I can't believe you would even say this and blah, blah, blah. But that's the point. I want everyone to see Jenk say that. Jenk wants everyone to see Jenk say that. The wager both of us have made is that I believe the average person will be repelled by what he said. He believes the average person will agree and be attracted to what he said. I'll take my wager. I think what he said was repellent. But he said it because he believes it. I'm glad he did. We had a great conversation. I'm not mad about it. I'm like, thank you for saying that. I'm, I'm, now, I'm now going to show my friends and family, and I say, this is what an argument looks like when you try bringing up yeah, the nuance in a in, in in a in a criminal trial. Yeah, that made me mad. <laughs> well, I thought I was I was just really glad to see the conversation. I mean, it's so rare, and you guys talked about this in the interview. Like, it's so rare to see 
um, people from, you know, sort of divergent political perspectives actually have a conversation, sure. you know? Yeah. And well, I, I, Max Blumenthal came on. I said the same, he said, he said the same thing. He's like, we're probably going to disagree on a lot. And I'm like, then let's just win all of the things we can win on that we want and then go back to complaining about each other. Is that, a, is that fair? Like, I totally agree with that. Let's Listen, do it. Look, I'm a libertarian. And so that means I know that no matter what, like if I die at 85, we're still going to be a tiny minority of the population of the country. So I can try to recruit as, as many new libertarians as I can, but I also just want to help the right and the left to prioritize to be the least worst right and the left that they could be the as well. You know what I mean? The, so majority, the majority of this country is anti-war. I absolutely agree with that. And especially that it's really changing on the right. Unfortunately, this Israel thing is really kind of put thrown a monkey wrench in the America first right, but only temporarily, yeah. I think. It was interesting, though, to hear we, Mike Johnson talk <clears throat> about um, funding for Israel today because he at least said that any money that um, he would he would advocate for to go to Israel would have to come from somewhere else in the budget. F from I, other, from Americans. Well, to go overseas, I, would, I mean, yeah. he didn't we, say that. I would ideally say that, you know, it would mm -hmm. be pulled from different foreign By programs. the way, you know, you hang on. Libby asked me a question earlier that I actually didn't get a chance to answer, but I'll just be real brief about the, because um, we talked about 48 a little bit, but uh, just kind of this ongoing narrative that, the Israelis keep trying to give the Palestinians a state and they always say no, that that's just really not true. And in fact, I have a book here that I was reading today. I didn't quite finish it today, but it's uh, what really happened or the secret history of Camp David in the year 2000 and how Arafat just took all the blame that they tried to give him a whole state and he refused to do it. And it's just not true. And what happens is they essentially set him up to be the rejectionist and then they go, aha, see? And in fact, in the book, they show where Bill Clinton agreed and promised Arafat, if it all falls apart, I promise I won't blame you. Because you're right. They're being real sticklers about this, that, and the other. Forget the details for a second. But the, the deal is not coming through. The Israelis are not being as, as uh, generous as they say, whatever. And then when the deal falls apart, they go, aha, it's all his fault. And we tried to give him a state, but he refused to accept it because you know how those Arabs are and all this kind of stuff and then and just to provide one footnote for that too is people can look this up this was a leak from 2011 it was leaked to the guardian and to al jazeera it's called the palestine papers was it in and the sock drawer was this part of the bill clinton sock drawer i don't think so totally separate there there was some, if you're talking about sandy Berger stealing documents that's a different thing but yeah but these palestine papers reveal that the palestinian authority under mahmoud abbas has been will they have just been bending over backwards to accommodate the israelis they've been willing to give up all of their claims on east jerusalem they've been willing to give up all their claims on all but like the three biggest settlements that prevent the west bank from being contiguous and this kind of deal and then it's the israelis who won't negotiate in good faith and you can read the palestine papers that they really demonstrate this all right the case we're gonna wrap it up there everybody if you haven't already would you kindly smash that like button subscribe to the channel share the show with your friends become a member at timcast.com if you want to support our work it's friday so uh we're gonna go take some days to relax but i'm always reading the news we're gonna have clips up throughout the weekend it's gonna be great you can follow the show at timcast irl you can follow me personally everywhere at timcast scott do you want to shout anything out uh, check out my guys at the Libertarian Institute. I got a great group of guys. We get the, the best guy at Cato, Ted Carpenter, got fired for being too good on Ukraine. Now he writes for me. Okay. Oh. And I got the, the uh, world famous and heroic James Bovard. We're about to publish his book, Lost Rights. We're, uh, pardon me, Last Rights, The Death of American Liberty. We're about to publish Tom Wood's book. 
uh, Diary of a Psychosis, How Public Health Failed Us During COVID Mania. And, uh, oh, you'll love this one. Domestic Imperialism, Nine Reasons I Left Progressivism by Keith Knight. <laughs> awesome. You're going to love it. It's there so go. good. And he's just brilliant. And then, of course, all the bad news in the world at antiwar.com. Check out my show, The Scott Horton Show. I got 6,000 interviews going back to 2003, proving that me and my guys are right about everything. And, <laughs> and read my book, Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. Right on. I am Phil that remains on twix i am phil that remains official on instagram the band is all that remains you can find us on spotify on youtube on amazon music on pandora you know the internet scott you were awesome thank you so much oh and i'm on twitter at scott horton show too and right thank on. you i'm very grateful for you having me here today oh yeah no anytime man it's been a blast libby i'm libby emmons you can find me on twitter i'm not cool enough to say twix uh, at Libby you Emmons. Just said it. I know, but I, I can't make it work. No. And you can find all the great work we're doing at thepostmillennial.com and humanevents.com. And if you'd like to subscribe, it's thepostmillennial.com slash subscribe. Thanks. And I'm Serge.com. I'm rooting for the Bucks. You should too. We can beat the All Blacks. We have a better record than them, I think. I don't know. I have, to, I have to look into that. I'm not really sure. But it's the most important thing in the world, guys. South Africa needs to win the cup. <laughs> Please, we need that Web Ellis back. Uh, I'm going to be playing music in DC later tonight. Cheers. And uh, so, some point soon, we got the music set up too. So yeah. I'm telling Phil he's got yeah. he's got to play some music. And uh, Dennis Prager to debate Scott might be good. Oh, I'd do that. We can ask him, but you know we'll figure he's it out. Again. All right, everybody, thanks for hanging out, and we'll have clips up throughout the week and uh, weekend, and then we'll see you on Monday. That's a good idea. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.